1994, Square began development for their next game for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. After a short amount of time, it became apparent that the Super Nintendo would not be able to handle the scope of what they were trying to do. Square began to experiment with other platforms, trying to decide what would ultimately work best for their new game. They decided upon the PlayStation, citing that the CD-ROM format catered to the technical needs of what they were trying to do. Multiple people who worked on the other installments returned for the creation of the new game, notably series creator Sakaguchi Hironobu, director Kitase Yoshinori, who also worked on 6, 8, and 10, and composer Uematsu Nobuo. The staff was made up of over 100 people, and the full budget, which included development and marketing, was roughly $80 million. The newest installment was the first to have 3D computer graphics and full motion videos, which were mind-blowing at the time of release. It also contained more science fiction elements and a heavier dose of realism. While the combat was similar to previous releases, the game contained exciting new features, such as mini-games, limit breaks which were powerful special moves, and summons, powerful creatures that the characters could call upon to aid them. Because of mainstream success and a wonderfully executed marketing and promotional campaign, the game is regarded as one of the greatest games of all time. The newest Square game won multiple Game of the Year awards, is largely responsible for the success of the PlayStation, and helped make playing role-playing games in Western countries more popular. If you somehow don't know what game I'm talking about, I'm talking about the game that released on January 31st, 1997, Final Fantasy VII. Now, 23 years later, we have received what we all thought was impossible, the remake. Granted, this is part one of an unknown number of entries, but it has finally come. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the newest episode of Chomping After Dark. I am so happy that you are here as we talk about one of the greatest games of all time. We will be breaking down the story of the Final Fantasy VII Remake in its entirety. That's right. Hallelujah and praise Genova. Let's get into some intros from the crew that you know and love. First, we have fellow Final Fantasy VII enthusiast, Mr. Rister Mitch. Rich, on a scale of Ifrit to Knights of the Round, how excited... Are you that we're finally talking about this game? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this baby a ruby weapon. That's that's how excited I am. I'm I'm bursting at the seams 
to discuss uh, our favorite soldier first class. There you have it, folks. A ruby weapon has been gifted, metaphorically speaking. Thank you for being here, Rich. Next, we have the guru of tech, spirits, and telling you that you're an idiot. Say hello to Joshua Fuller. Hey, idiots. Hey. Hi. Hey. Now, Josh, I know that you enjoy some other Final Fantasy entries more than this one, but I believe that you enjoyed this title as a child, yes? Um... Not when it first came out. I played it a couple years after. I think I... Hmm. I can't remember if I played 7 or 8 first, now that I'm thinking about it. I played both of them when I was a teenager. Um, I played the Super Nintendo ones before before okay. these, but I can't remember if I played 7 or 8 first. Okay. It's been been quite some time. It's true. It's true. You are old, as we all are. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that a little bit later. And last, here, we have a man forever haunted by this game as it has cast a shadow on his beloved eight. Make way for Meerkat Brainbuster. I, I kind of gave you a new superhero name. I hope that you like it, Morgan. I don't even know what that means. Could um, you edit in booze right here? But, but I do enjoy busting. Um, you happy to be here, Shay. Um, I gotta say, have you ever, Shay, have you ever heard the term keys to the kingdom? Yes. Um, I'm excited to talk about this game today. I may not have enjoyed it as much as you guys did, but it's going to be a fun show. And, uh, my opening thought is they gave the keys to the kingdom to the guy that makes kingdom hearts. And, oh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. We do. We do. And we will see if that sentiment holds throughout this podcast so as i do with every show i need to point out here that there will be spoilers 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 if you have not finished the game or you do not want to hear the spoilers please come back when you have wrapped it up also with the game being similar to the original in many ways for the sake of time i will quickly gloss over parts of the story I implore you to play through the game yourself to truly experience it. Now, let's break this game down. The game starts out very similar to the original. The player watches a cutscene of various characters and locations, leading to a train pulling to a stop at a station. Four members of Avalanche, an eco-terrorist organization, hop off of the train and begin to infiltrate a Mako reactor. Barrett Wallace, the leader of this faction of Avalanche, instructs Cloud, a mercenary and former soldier, to deal with the various soldiers that they encounter along the way. Other, the other three members of Avalanche, Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse, help Cloud and Barrett overcome technological obstacles as they make their way inside. They get to the center of the Mako reactor and managed to blow it up. After the bombing is successful, Barrett tells Cloud of the importance of stopping Shinra Electric Power Company, who is harnessing energy from these reactors. He believes that if Shinra goes unchecked, a catastrophic event will occur and cause irreparable damage to the planet. Cloud is haunted by the memory of Sephiroth, a former soldier member that appears to have close ties with Cloud. 
he also meets a floral woman by the name of Aerith Gainsborough. So a lot of the story happens in those first few hours. The remake introduces a lot of new subtext to the main story and some small threads that didn't previously exist. One occurrence that repeats throughout the game is Cloud being haunted by this mysterious figure, Sephiroth. Considering where the story of the remake goes, Rich, do you approve of the decision to bring him in this early into the game? Uh... I think it is a completely logical choice and one I honestly was hoping they would do. Uh, The the thing about the original is, and part of this is rough translation, but there's a lot of seeds that probably should have been introduced sooner. Um, Like the idea of Sephiroth being sort of the specter for Cloud that like, you know, Cloud's muddled past haunting him. In in the original game, uh, and we'll talk more about this in the part two we eventually do, Cloud's sort of inundated with headaches and, like, voices in his head uh, occasionally. They chose to give it a more physical manifestation in this, and I think that was really smart. And kind of, it it gives it that more cinematic feel you want out of something like this. Right. I remember as a kid playing those sequences, and Cloud is just clutching his head and kind of shaking, and this, like, green light is flashing. It's going to green to white to green to white, and you you didn't really understand what was going on. You understood something was impairing him. But as it, an adult, I think I understand. I understand it almost as like them trying to convey like post traumatic stress. Yes, but I don't think it comes off quite as well. No, it doesn't, and I think that it conveys itself a lot more here. Makes it a lot more concise. Um, Josh, how did you feel about the decision of bringing Sephiroth in early? Did you approve? Not approve? Um, I liked it kind of along with what you were saying with the whole, uh, explaining what's going on with cloud a little bit earlier with the whole him having flashbacks and, um, visions or whatever. Cause it, it's, that is not explained at all in the original, um, And yeah, they they definitely did a better job of getting across, like like you're saying, um, just a earlier, but b just with with less uh, less needing to be said to do the job. Uh, right. There's a lot more clarity in what's being done in this remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Morgan, how did you feel? Um, it's not like a huge sticking point for me, but, um, I'm, I'm of two. So it's tricky because one thing I loved about the original was sort of one thing I love about like, um, classic monster movies and and like the really good ones where they don't show you the monster for a long time. And I always thought it was interesting for me to learn about Sephiroth for a while. And then when he eventually didn't make his appearance, like, I just thought that was a more, um, for me, interesting way to to build up, you know, the mystique, the myth. You build up the mythos in your head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I get it. It makes sense. If you know what this game becomes at the end, it makes more sense why they did it this way. Um, I will say that it just, like a lot of things in the game, I feel like it's just kind of giving you what you'd sort of expect because you kind of expect more Sephiroth because of his place in gaming history 
now and how popular he is and stuff. Like, I feel like if they didn't have a lot of Sephiroth in this game, there's a segment of people that would probably mutiny. Um, I don't agree with those people, but I, I get the decision. Yeah. You know, I, I found myself very much actually agreeing with you, Morgan, in a lot of ways, because I remember in the original, when you get to Shinra headquarters, which we will be getting into later in this episode, there is a lot of suspense because you've heard about this character very briefly but you have not really seen him. You've not really encountered him. And that sequence um, in Shinra, which we will kind of talk about a little bit later, leading up to what happens, absolutely made him more menacing and him seem much more powerful. And while I think that... um, I think that it was important for understanding of the story and understanding of the character to introduce Sephiroth earlier. I'm thankful that we have a clear understanding of what's going on with him. I also think the, to play devil's advocate, it really hurts. Um, Like you're saying, Morgan, the mythos or the kind of initial mystique of Sephiroth. I think it hurts that image a ton. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I do agree with that. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, they they kind of try to get across that whole horror aspect with his initial introduction of having, you know, a flashback of the city on... Well, not really a flashback, but, like, you know, he's hallucinating that the city's on fire, and Sephiroth is leading him around it. And they, they kind of move that part of uh of the experience earlier in order to allow them to talk about other stuff. Um but yeah, I did feel like it made that section it, it was missing. It was missing from that section the whole um yeah. Just feeling of like just it, oh, it's a horror movie. Like what what has happened here? Um sort of a vibe. Like they d- Definitely trade in that horror movie vibe, but the interesting thing, and I talked to Shay about this, I actually replayed the opening hours of the original FF7 uh, last week, which is about the first four hours of the game, and it's interesting to like think of the idea of, oh, it robs the mythos of what Sephiroth is, because the original game doesn't really establish a lot of Sephiroth mythos before you get to Shinra Tower, he's mentioned mm-hmm. maybe twice, and then all of a sudden he's upon you. And and that stuff is done better because he's treated like a specter. Like, we'll talk about that when we get to it, but in the original, the whole time you're in Shinra Tower, you never even see him. His presence is felt, and you're essentially following his murder trail around, but you never see him. Mm-hmm. I think that's well, what I like yeah. so much about the original, though, is like, you feel him. You don't see him. You don't hear, you really hear about him. You feel his presence. And um, to compare it to another game, because this game is the top of the line and it will be for a long time until someone dethrones it. PT, when you play that game, what's so, so horrific and so suspenseful about that game is when you're trying to get out of that hallway, the whole time you feel like you're being watched and come come to find out you are being watched the whole time and that's what's so unsettling so that was part of why so many people gravitated towards Sephiroth as a villain because at the beginning you feel his presence but you don't really know 
what that presence is. And that is so much of the appeal of him, I believe. I think there's an interesting conversation to have when we circle back around later, but I, don't, I know if I jump ahead, you're going to get mad. So, True. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think it really has to do with what this game ends up being at the end. It, it Because <clears throat> I was curious to see if they were going to have the... Sometimes it sounds very derogatory, like, did they have the balls? But if they had the stones to actually not show Sephiroth throughout most of the thing. Um, so I was just curious to see how they were going to handle that. But, you know, yeah. it, it is what it is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the n- number of appearances he had and how early he came into this game, what um, implications that has for the future installments of the series. So yeah, yeah. If it was going to be a more traditional kind of remake thing, it it would have been brave of them to not put Sephiroth in that thing at all until the very end. But we'll come back to that later. And to be yeah. fair, his throughout like the original game, throughout the rest of it, his presence is a lot more felt going forward. It from is here a because lot more. Now he's the target. Yeah, because there's, well, and we're going to talk about that later. Like what happens in seven that makes him right. We're gonna we can jump into yeah. that later on. Yeah, yeah, that's really the ending of okay. this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cloud and the members of Avalanche return to Seventh Heaven, their secret hideout, and here we see Cloud reunite with his childhood friend, Tifa Lockhart. After several discussions, Cloud informs Barrett that he wants his payment and to be done with their efforts to stop Shinra. Mysterious ghost-like entities keep Cloud involved with Avalanche's efforts, and he helps them with another bombing. The bombings go awry, and we meet Heidegger and President Shinra. They thwart Avalanche and cause Cloud to be separated from the group. Cloud meets Aerith again as he falls into her church, where she grows her flowers. Aerith recruits Cloud to protect her from Shinra, who are pursuing her for unknown reasons. In the original, this scene is impactful as we are introduced to a character that embodies Shakespearean tragedy. Um, Hopefully that is an illusion without giving away exactly what's going to happen later in the story. I want to keep it a little bit vague for those who are experiencing this game for the first time with a remake. What is Shakespeare famous for? tragedy um the first encounter (laughs) with her (laughs) is monumental at this point in the game josh with cloud having met her prior to the scene in the remake do you think that it took away from the importance of this meeting um no i mean she has more screen time early on but that is not setting up her story so much as setting up the world, which again, this this whole thing is spoilers, but I feel like do we want to just spoil, spoil the thing so we can move on or what? Because it feels like there's so much to talk just- on early on that just... Right. Just up to this point, like, try your best. Like, the the thing I'm trying to do with this podcast, basically, this specific one, is approach it as kind of looking at the remake, having vague knowledge of the original, but not letting that 
and what actually happens in its right. entirety in that original dominate this conversation because it's it was one of the things that was really difficult for me writing this is to separate how much I consider the original versus this remake and i i'm trying my i tried my best to basically cater the questions and what we talk about more centered around the remake if that gives you kind of any insight as to what i'm going for um i mean if we're gonna go about it that way then yeah it does take away from it because you get to know Aerith more in the first section and falling in her church is basically just a fight with reno um a good fight. Yes. Yeah. Well, good enough. Good enough. I liked it. It was all right. Oh. That's fair. That's fair. So you just Yeah, I can see I can see your point. Morgan, how did you how did you feel about this particular sequence? I okay, so I I I don't want to like beat this to a dead horse. Beat beat this to a dead horse. Beat this to a dead horse. Beat That's this a weird like race. A, beat, beat the dead horse. Um, or beating all a dead the above. Horse. Beat the pulp of the dead horse. All the <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Ew. <laughs> I I just found the the and this is something different people are in different opinions on and I completely respect that. For me the whispers from the beginning were just a little they were distracting. Um so that first scene with Aerith I it, it took away from it just cuz I was really annoyed by those little floating dementor things and we're going to talk a lot about those later I'm sure because they're a huge part of the remake and they're not in the original. I just I felt like it was just uh, a lot to do with uh, Tetsuya Nomura's style as a director. He is the director of uh, Advent Children, Kingdom Hearts. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not privy to his style of directing. It's, it's so. I feel like it's there's a lot of unnecessary. It's a little just too much for me. And uh, the I just the whispers were the distracting part. I couldn't even tell you because I was so focused on the damn whispers. Um, so there you go. Okay, fair enough. Rich, how did you feel about this uh, particular sequence? I think um, it doesn't take away from it for me for the most part. Uh, I, I totally get what Morgan's saying because, uh, and you and I have talked about this privately, Shay, that the whispers, as it goes on, become a little bit more problematic. I, I get what Namora's going for with them. Uh, they're incredibly jarring the first time, being incredibly familiar with FF7 and going, wait, what the fuck are we doing here? Uh, Granted, I had a kind of a different idea at that point of what they might be, um, and I was interested to see how that would shake out. I, I wouldn't say I'm upset with how they shake out, but th there needs to be some discretion with that, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but for the most part, I, I still think this scene is does its best to be just as impactful as it would have been in the original. Yeah. Interesting. Like I, I feel like it works once it gets back on the rails, like once you're... They're talking and you're moving again. Yeah, like like after after the fight and kind of the escape sequence, I feel like that's where it starts working again. Um, and I did a really good job there. Yeah, I think yeah, at this point I didn't know what the whispers were, so it was just like, and uh, you're not supposed your... to. Yeah, exactly. It was just yeah. kind of like, oh, these things are weird and they feel yeah, kind of silly, but yeah, you don't like, really know the purpose yet. Like when we did our initial podcast of just playing the beginning there. I thought that they were yeah. just part of the live stream or something along those that was, lines. Yeah, my theory. Yeah, you did because well. I remember you telling me you're like they're part of the game or something. I was like, what? They were in Final yeah, Fantasy VII. Yeah, because they, they, yeah, the live stream has like a mind of its own and like 
manifests like that. Well, they talk about the but, planet talking to Aerith, so I thought... Yeah, like, I thought that was Josh, it. it was a physical manifestation of that. Yeah, and then she ends up talking to the live stream outside of the whispers later on. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not what was going on there. It's <laughs> yeah. their, their own yeah. thing, and like we'll get there, but yeah. Totally. I yeah. thought it was just a very drastic change of take on something we'd Strange. already seen and it's it's yeah. not yeah. that it's a new thing um yeah and it was i think it was one that was implemented pretty poorly and it definitely for me affected the impact of this scene because this scene in um in the original is so impactful yeah. because you meet this character who is important for so many reasons for the story which you learn in the remake and the original and the fact that they introduced her a little bit earlier, absolutely, Rich, you're right. It does add to the world building. Or Sorry, that was Josh. One of you two, I can't remember. Well, that encounter does happen in the original. They just made it a little longer. They did, yes. Yeah, they beefed absolutely. it up. It's, it's they not did. just they handing it a flower up. and then pissing off. Right, so. right. And I think that it, it has, that whole flower handoff actually has um, further implications in what happens later in the story, clearly. But that that whole sequence was really hampered down by the poor introduction of these creatures. And um, I felt specifically in this scene, amongst other scenes, that you're kind of going, uh, f- just for fun, you're going along the life stream of this story, essentially. Yeah. And then hey. it feels like a... And then it feels like at certain points you stop and you're kind of just plucked out of that stream and you're like, oh, here's these whisper things. Uh, don't forget about these. And then you're kind of reinserted into the stream and then pushed along a little bit more, pulled out again. Oh, here's these whispers. Don't forget about them. And then yeah. it just continues to happen. And the the scenes, uh, this specific scene, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Um, the scene before you first meet her, really, like, it's you're taken out of that initial meet because of that. And then so when you fall into the church it's still a very very moving impactful scene i i wouldn't lie to you guys here and i'll i'll be honest with you i i felt the emotions well up as you hear eris theme when you see the church and you see the church in its beautifully rendered graphics because that's obviously this was one of those sequences where they had to put all their resources into and it's breathtaking and it's nostalgic and it's it it just feels like you just came back home essentially as someone who loves the game but for me i also in the back of my mind i'm like well they just met you know for me like an hour or two ago prior or like three hours however long it was a few hours prior and i and then oh yeah those stupid ass ghost-like things were popping up and then it kind of hampered that experience a little bit for me because of that um but I still absolutely it, yeah. love this sequence. It, it makes me wonder how many games that we're going to play in the next 10 or 15 years that are gorgeous r- remakes of things we grew up with that have those emotional experiences. I didn't have that personally, but I understand why you did. And it's just, it's, it, it's cool because I, I bet we're going to start seeing a lot more of that, you know? I think so too. I, I, I think, think you're right about that, yeah. I think it's going to be fun to see various games that we all know and love get the remakes. Um, and then for us to like go back and be like, oh, hey, we're home. And, and just live in those, like, get to relive those moments. And that's, yeah. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Um, wow, that church really got you. <laughs> that church dude, really it's got a you. really big scene. I think I, I had a similar 
like really strong feeling like the first time you walk into Aerith's house, which we'll, we'll get to shortly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's continue on. After their narrow escape, Aerith takes Cloud back to her house to meet her mother. The brief visit ends oh, with Aerith... Moving a little fast there. <laughs> I told you, we gotta move fast for... Unless you guys want to be here for no, four No, hours. no, no, Aerith. He's saying Cloud move Please, fast. I oh, really gotta okay. get to bed at some point. I just, just met and have to, mer- have to and this meet your mom right away. Clingy. Yeah. Yeah, stage five. But, um... So, sorry, the brief visit ends with Aerith concluding that she will help Cloud return to Sector 7 before they part ways. On the way there, they see Tifa enter Wall Market and being taken there on the back of a buggy. Cloud quickly and briefly reunites with her, and she reveals her plan to infiltrate the Wall Market's crime lord's residence and speak with Don Corneo about Shinra's plans. Cloud and Aerith, along with Tifa, successfully infiltrate and meet Dawn, where they demand to know Shinra's plans. Dawn reveals that Shinra will collapse the plate, home to the upper class of Midgar, over Sector 7 to retaliate for the Mako, for the Mako reactor bombings performed by Avalanche. Tifa and Cloud race to reunite with Barrett atop a tower while Aerith goes to rescue Marlene, Barrett's daughter from Seventh Heaven. Before they ascend, they see Wedge fall from the tower. He quickly recovers and helps the people of Sector 7 evacuate. As they ascend the tower, they run into Biggs and Jesse, who both die to injuries fighting Shinra. They reunite with Barrett atop the tower and fight two Shinra executives. Reno and Rude. After a fierce battle, Rude hits the button and drops the plate. Reno and Rude escape by helicopter, and the three take a line to escape the dropped plate. With Aerith's help, most of the inhabitants of Sector 7 escape, but she is captured by Tsang, another Shinra executive. So for the sake of time, I glossed over a lot of minutia. A lot just happened, yeah. Unfortunately, I had to gloss over a lot of it. Ooh, let's unpack. I think one aspect that the original failed horribly at was capturing the severity of the Mako bombings committed by Avalanche and the dropping of the plate by Shinra. Of course, mm-hmm. it is terrible. But in the remake, the impact is much more deeply felt in these scenarios. Morgan... Tell me about your thoughts and feelings about the fallout of these events. Were they more impactful in this game? Did they draw you into the plight of Avalanche and what they were doing with Shinra? Uh, This was probably my high point of the game. I know we kind of blew over some of it, but... And I remember you guys talking about on the first Chomcast we did that in the original game, there was like just a bunch of people huddled around like a, a big TV... Um, although there was also a big TV in this one that people were huddled around, so I don't remember the difference between those. Um, Mostly large... huddled around the base of the tower in the original. Okay, okay. Because I remember Scarlet showed up on this giant big screen TV for a little bit. It was really weird. I was like, okay. So that's, uh, um, but I to to answer your question, Shay, uh, more succinctly, the, the Jesse Biggs and Wedge stuff I thought was 
this is what I thought it was going to be. The game was going to be more like it to me. It felt like a good balance of, you know, getting to know characters that you didn't get to know a lot in the first game that were kind of important, like Jesse Biggs and wedge. And you know, that whole sequence where you go into her house and see the damage that the, you know, her dad had an accident at the Mako factory and you have to sneak in there to get something. And he's like, you know, all in the bed and everything. And then, um, her, you kind of learn about her through her friends and that whole motorcycle scene. I, that was, that was definitely probably a high point for me in the game. And I, I thought they did a pretty good job with that. So, okay, that's fair. But back to the question, um, <laughs> the, the, the part I'm talking about is the fallout of the, the dropping of the plate and the bombings. Do you think I know, that I, the... yeah, I'm sorry. I just, we, we, we flew by that part and that was like my favorite part of the game. So no, I, I respect mention. that. I respect that. That's fine. Yeah. No, um, I, I wasn't trying to be a dick. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, so the, the sec, the part where, um, the plate dropped, that's what you're referring to, right? Just in general, like the first few chapters, you have the first Mako reactor being bombed. You have the second one um happening before you drop into Aerith's church and then you have the plate dropping and like all these sequences i felt like you know they show the impact of that um very well so i kind of wanted to pick your guys's brains on that um yeah i didn't have a strong opinion either way i thought they i thought it was fine i didn't think they did a bad job i didn't think they did an excellent job i thought i thought they did fine okay okay fair enough and like just real quickly, so I don't just completely ignore what you said earlier. I do like in this, um, in this game how they give a lot of these smaller characters more screen time, um, or just screen time in general to kind of get to know them. I know that it was kind of divisive with people that, um, some people are like, I don't care about going to Jesse's house about to learn about a pizza or to learn about her father, and then other people who really loved that, and I think that's part of what's always made. Um, who said that, Shay? Who said? Tell me. Tell me who go, it was. Go to Twitter. Come on, some Twitter. guy. Fuck Twitter. <laughs> Fuck Twitter. No, and and I think that was I think that was something that this game did really well was immerse you into the world and endear the characters to you. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to gloss over that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Rich, how did you feel about kind of the fallout of these events? Were they impactful? Draw you into the story? This is such think? a big moment in the original um and i think the, the way they expanded upon it really does it justice uh here for me uh i mean in the original there was a lot to consider of why nobody acts to sort of like help the the denizens of sector seven which they have wedge sort of fill in the gap here for that uh there is actually a brief section there where you switch over to Aerith on her way to rescue marlene which is sort of a story beat they don't really cover in the original. You know she yeah, goes to do so. Yeah, it's just implied. And then she, she shows up on the chopper after you fight Reno with uh, Sang and the and I, I think Rude's with them at that point as well. Uh, it feels more like more of a climactic moment in this uh, as well. And we could save really getting into the implications of this uh, when we do the, the more compare and contrast podcast. But there's also a shot of Kate Sith watching the plate fall. That uh, shot, like, weird, I felt yeah. they did an amazing job of getting across the stakes of everything going on, and then that shot of Kate Sith shaking his fists at God, and and then, you know, <laughs> well, like, here's that just completely ruined the stakes for me. I'm like, okay, like, I, I get it, but just, just well, the yeah. visual of it is what ruined it. 
Well, here's the problem, I think. And for, like, you and me, it probably even ruins it less. Like, I was okay with it. If you are coming to this for the first time... No and one explains know who, who that is. Kate Sith is. Yeah. Which I get you're laying the <laughs> seeds to explain that later. Yeah. And it, well, that's just it. It needs to be just really... Just a cat ex- with a crown. <laughs> that's not quite what Kate Sith <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, it's like out of nowhere, uh, all of a sudden, there's a cat wearing a crown and a cape just raging at the heavens and, and the, pounding the, the ground. The whole thing is, Kate Sith is such a hated character and there's potential to explain that character correctly and better this time yeah. and make it make sense. Like I think the character is an interesting character, but it's just explained so horribly in the original and, and so far in this one as well. Well, I, I think you're per- they're purposefully holding that back at this point. Yeah. And I think doing stuff like that is going to be a testament to that quote unquote reveal being better down the line. Uh, yeah, I'm glad it was there. But like you said, if you know nothing about the original or what Kate Sith is, you're gotta just be sitting there scratching your head going what the fuck was that (laughs) yeah i kind of agree with you guys i also kind of disagree with you guys because i feel like that provides some intrigue like we just talked about earlier how the mystique of sephiroth is gone in this remake (laughs) mystique of kate and replace by the mystique of (laughs) that's right (laughs) hell yeah absolutely no (laughs) in all seriousness though i I think for newcomers, it may be a point of interest for them. They may, may be like, who is this freaking cat? You know, like lots of people love cats. And so, I mean, it's going to be a point of interest for them. I think it was a weird place to introduce that. And I think that's yeah. what your guys' point is. Yeah. And I will, and that is where I agree with you guys. I think giving us a teaser of that character and whatnot will be a great payoff and i like the build up where they're going with that to be vague but yeah the exact location that they chose that in the way that they chose that i think was not quite handled the best the when you learn later on i think that that when when we see the payoff of that i think that scene will age better than it is currently as a full unit it'll all feel better for the sake of stuff like that right but just introducing something like that right when it was introduced especially like you guys are saying to someone who has no knowledge of that yeah it's not the greatest i will agree with you there we're assuming that yeah i think your theory is correct but we don't really know how it'll age because we don't know how the next product will be it's kind of a big question well we're saying in terms of the the stuff there because like um they gave Reeve so much more screen time early on in the game, and they're, they did leave a bunch... None of the hints are overt enough that if you didn't have context, you'd figure them out. But they do have him, you know... There, there are a lot of scenes of him really caring about the people he's supposed to be working for, unlike the, the everyone work. else at Shinra. Yeah, the the groundwork is there in in really smart ways, and I I know I had messaged Shay several times while playing it about this. I'm like I was eating up the way they were writing Reeve this time around yeah. because yeah. it's yes. easy to forget who the fuck he is or why any of this matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Shay. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, it wasn't going to be about Reeve. If you want to jump in with something Reeve related. Oh, okay. The one thing I was just going to say to add to the conversation before I let you, yeah before you go in is that. I think that's one of the biggest strengths about this game is that it 
granted some people felt like you know there are a lot of extra stuff that didn't need to be necessary it felt like they really added a lot of stuff to make it a 40 50 hour game which i think there's some validity in that like some of the there's side missions there is there is there's is some there's some padding for sure um one of the things that they do so well is basically give you context to these characters give you backstory give you motive and intent for what's going to happen later and while that may not jive with some people i think a lot of people like it and so when we consider like oh hopefully the payoff of that particular sequence or some other sequences is going to be great um i think we can look at just like this 40 50 hour game as part of the source material and extrapolate on that of course we can't predict because like the uh square is notorious for this they will change hands often midway through games they've done that so many times we can look at you know things like kingdom hearts 3 like morgan was kind of alluding to at his beginning we can look at final fantasy 15 which i'm not saying any of these games are good or bad um we look at the production of 7 and 8 even uh where directors switched hands writers switched hands um production was halted production was elongated like all these things happen and the thing that's concerning and i could see to morgan's point is final fantasy 15 took nine years to make uh this remake has been rumored since the ps3 we got it towards the tail end of the ps4 and who's to say how how much longer it's going to be for these subsequent ones now we've had statements but is the same level quality that this one contains still going to be there and when we consider that and like the track record of square square soft square enix um their three names and their two name changes throughout the their history it's like okay well hopefully the payoff is going to be as good later on um we, we fingers crossed you know and if you just consider this game alone you think yeah i think the payoff is going to be great but then you also consider the history of where they're at and yeah it's a little bit concerning so i i i can see morgan's point um i'm more of the optimist here though and saying the way they did it in the remake is so good that if they continue along this path the payoff is going to be tremendous i um so this scene i'm trying to find it the most kind way to say this i feel like this scene is a good representation of my personal issues with nomura as as a director um there was some small stuff there there's some stuff that was funny i was streaming this game on my birthday because i i was trying to get myself just motivated and to get into it and it was funny because there was there was so many me in the chat we were having a great time uh kind of laughing in in the anime kind of way there was there was just a lot of weird stuff going on. Like at one point, a helicopter uh, blew up a foot in front of Aerith, and she flew back ten feet, stood up without a scratch. You well, know, she's anime. 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 Um, uh, they're like hiding behind these like uh, these like metal poles, and they're like trying not to get mowed down by this helicopter. But as soon as you can play that sequence, you can get shot by the helicopter Dude, and take almost no damage. Morgan, wait, are you wait to hear about the that... stuff that happens to Squall in FF8? <laughs> are you telling me that Aerith is Arnold Schwarzenegger in every? movie ever that he's ever done in uh in the chat shay they were saying she had a uh sundress 100 plus 100 oh, armor i was something. i was there i was there <laughs> yeah, I, that was great. it was hilarious um uh there was they, they had the 
and it wasn't good enough that a giant plate had to fall on um, Wedge. They had to show the whispers like holding him in place, which was just like oh there was there was just a lot of. And then like the frustrating thing for me is like I actually really got into Jesse's character, but I hadn't seen her in ten hours, and then she was just suddenly dead. Um, I, I just feel like, and then there's the Kate thing you guys talked about. The whole it was almost comical that like there was like a big switch that came out of the the platform it was like a kill switch like a big giant button push the button and the plate falls and it was just like it was so it was so i i just ha- i just couldn't really take it seriously i had a hard time getting into it um his style the way he portrays these scenes it just doesn't connect with well me. you could say that of the original as well if you're gonna criticize the way the plates disconnected like yeah, that's most just... of those things were in the original sans yeah. the you know the doctor who elements mm. I, I, it's been a long time since I've, so I'm just trying to comment more specifically on what yeah. was portrayed in the remake. Yeah, uh, no, no. Through the I, cutscenes, yeah, so. like the I big just, buttons and the helicopters and stuff like that. That's all there. That was all in the original. There was, it's a, it's a very shonen story that they're telling totally. in the original. It is very over the top, just, you know, conspiracies and the president's in on it and, uh, of, you know, we can we can drop an entire plate like just the the very idea of that is they ridiculous this plane on its re- face. Plan ready to go, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like they he, built it yeah. with a switch to drop it. Like what? <laughs> well, that that's my to, main point. Is yeah. I wanted to get across at least for what Morgan's saying is I don't feel like what you're saying is an invalid. Like that's a little weird. It's yeah. just no, it is. That's very totally, weird. totally valid. It is yeah. totally valid. But you just it, can't it attribute weird, it to Namora. Th- you know, it was weird. What thirty years ago? Or, yeah, and that that may be true. I guess some of it was like maybe Nomura could, had a hand in yeah. like the betrayal of some. Like whenever the the for example when the button came out to drop the switch, and he was kind of walking over there and just kind of staring at it and then looking around. He's like, I guess I'll fight these guys instead of pushing the button. I was like, that seemed like kind of a swaggy, cocky Nomura thing to do. I don't think that um, has anything to do with the director. I think that's more of. Like that's source material, yeah. Well, source material and a lot yeah. of media portray cocky people as that. I mean, literally any anime is rife with people being like, "Well, I could do this thing now and just end the game," but you know what? I'm gonna fucking yeah. let me monologue. Dude, I expect hell, you to die, Mister. Hell, Bond. You, we Morgan, we've been watching the last dance, and uh, Michael Jordan toyed with his enemies with his opponents uh, like all the time. So yeah, I don't think I it's, just, I don't think it's a product of the director. I think it's portraying the cocky attitude. I can do whatever I need to do kind of guy. Um, but to your point, absolutely. I, I will admit, yeah, like Josh said, 23 years ago, it was absurd that there was one single button on top of a tower where anyone <laughs> could seemingly access it's, that mm-hmm. could just drop a it's plate funny. and kill it's funny. hundreds yeah. of thousands of people, I, and they, they yeah. still decided to keep that in this game. Yeah. That, that's where I started. And that was Sector 7. Yeah. They'd apparently done this six other times and still thought that that button was a good idea. Right, and this, exactly. had, this had already happened to Sector 5. Mm-hmm. I yeah I think those things are interesting. I just like for me like I don't know how to get over those things like oh uh as an adult like it's difficult for me to juggle those things in my mind because I'm like I don't want to be too critical. I know it's trying to be anime but I also want to take it seriously. So yeah. I'm kind of always well, like in this weird battle in my mind like yeah. It, it's tough for me. It's tough they for me. It's force just... you to take it more seriously in this one because it was so much more abstract originally and then 
like I said, the whole that that scene where they're showing you all the destruction from this, they're showing you, you know, everyone trying to help people escape from this, the the evacuation going on, the the kids and their families running mm-hmm. around trying to find each other and and, and, and yeah. get out. All of that because there's a button that someone can push to drop all those pe- like it to be fair that's not their understanding of it yeah but it, but <laughs> yeah but showing showing how showing it in a more ris- realistic way is going to make that stand out sillier more. by contrast yeah yes so no i absolutely get your your, your yeah, feeling there, which I is kind of yeah, why i yeah. immediately you know glommed onto the, the kate sith being there thing because because that was the thing that just did it for me i'm like that was all this carnage yeah, yeah. and then this cat just shaking his <laughs> fists and like cat with a crown but yeah because yeah when when it's more realistic like that it does make the cheesy bits stand out more the, the campy stuff yeah seems more at odds with the writing at times like that Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's probably where they have a lot of trouble, right? They they want it to be it's kind of fun anime over the top, but they also want you to get the feels. And, yeah, I mean, it's probably where I struggle with the tone the most. <laughs> yeah, like the funniest I, thing. I kind of love stuff like yeah, that. You mentioned that the thing that I think is funny is depending on what part of the game, what cutscene you're in, you never know how high any char- any character can jump in a given moment, whatsoever. Well, they're anime. Yeah, they're anime, so they should be able to jump however high, but then. You know, a chain link fence about six feet tall. Too much. Yeah. We, can, we can't. Depends do that. on the situation. Depends <laughs> yeah, on the it situation. Is. It's, it's. I know. It's so funny seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Do you guys have a? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's true. It's it's weird. Like. Yeah. I don't feel like we face that as much in a lot of modern games because, uh, you know, it's maybe it's more specific to anime and Japanese games, but a lot of. Um, a lot of the games we play I feel like in general I'm not saying they're better or worse I'm just saying they're a little more grounded in concepts that make a little more sense. As someone who plays a lot of JRPGs, I can tell you it really depends on the type of games you're playing. Oops, all JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was going to say that yeah, you know, I think this has always been a thing in Final Fantasy is those tonal shifts. You know, 7, 8, 10 like where they're silly and absurd in some moments and then they are realistic and they're heart-wrenching in other moments and i think that's yeah. part of what's so endearing and i think at the end of the day for some people it's going to be less about like the tonal shifts and more about if you connect with the characters in the stories can you look past those tonal shifts yeah. and i think for people like morgan um not morgan specifically but for people like morgan who have found White guys themselves connecting more <laughs> found themselves connecting more with other Final Fantasy games that it's hard harder to overlook the tonal shifts. And yeah. I'm not well, I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say that it, some of the tonal shifts aren't yeah. good or bad. Like some of them admittedly, like we talked about with the cat as an example in that sequence, is not a great tonal shift. Um yeah. this is but, yeah. I don't think it. You, you're right. It's not specific to this. I mean, seven, the, the, especially the remake here, does it a lot. Where you're never sure how high someone can jump. You're never sure how lethal a bullet is, um, because you've been shot, you know, thousands of times before someone shows up in a cutscene, and that gun means business. Um, it, you have a, a similar thing in Final Fantasy VIII, where you know, look how lethal these gun blades are. 
mm-hmm. and then anytime you get into a fight you you get hit by those things and shot and and all this yeah. other stuff and it is it's just it's one of those things you just you kind of have to overlook um suspension of disbelief yeah, which is and, something that you constantly have to employ in these yeah and it's just whether you're willing to do that or not i think is really gonna be personal preference like how everything else is working for you at that point yeah or even when, yeah. Like when you encounter a different final fantasy game if morgan's mm-hmm. first game was eight or mine was seven or josh's was six um i don't know if those uh, were yeah. your guys's first but like that's that's what's also part yeah. of the equation as well and to be fair my memory of those games i was younger i you know what i mean like my memory is that they were all very serious and badass and every cutscene sticks out but you know <laughs> that's a very incorrect memory well, yeah. don't yeah. don't ever forget the mini game moogle house in the original final fantasy 7 uh-huh. <laughs> well yeah that, oh god never, yeah. never will Dude, that, that was the heartbreaking part about going back and playing 8 and being like and it, playing like 12 <coughs> 10 hours of it being like yeah I, this was my favorite game ever as a kid and i i'm just i can't get into it like what you don't like moombas i <laughs> i love moombas i love moombas yeah um, but, not a monster <laughs> but they are <laughs> but let's move on all right we still got a lot of episode to go let's talk about norg <laughs> after the rubble clears cloud barrett and tifa discover an underground shinra lab they investigate it and find horrific experiments conducted on people by shinra this worries them greatly and furthers their urgency to rescue Aerith. They go back to her mother, and she reveals how she came to be Aerith's adopted mother. Cloud promises to rescue and protect Aerith. They infiltrate Shinra headquarters and rescue Aerith from Dr. Hojo, an eccentric man who conducts experiments. She informs the trio that she wants... Excuse me. She informs the trio that she is the last remaining descendant of the Cetra, a precursor race that lived in the Promised Land. Shinra wants to go to the Promised Land because of the endless Mako reserves. They also free a wolf-like creature called Red 13, who tells the group that the ghost-like entities that they've encountered are Whispers, whose purpose of existence is to ensure that the course of destiny stays on track. Also, during this time, Sephiroth enters the Shinra headquarters and steals Genova, who is somehow connected to the Cetra. I really enjoyed this whole segment because it gave a lot more backstory into the Cetra, who were these rumored but rarely talked about creatures that existed on this planet. It was much needed context that was simply not provided in the original. Do you hope that we learn more about the origins and demise of them in future installments, Rich? Oh, 100%. And I, I'm hopeful that we will dive into it in a little more depth than the original did, because this one kind of already has uh, or, or focused on it uh, a little bit more at the very least. And the entire sequence in Hojo's lab is fantastic. Um, I think the introduction of Red 13 is handled pretty damn well even though we don't quite get him as a party member just yet 
Yeah. Which um, I also think was the right call here because otherwise yeah. it would have been frustrating to have a new party member for 30 minutes. It would have yep. been a, it ends up being more than 30 minutes, but I, I well, still but, agree yeah. with you yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, um, I am it's really disappointed. Time. We don't get my favorite Barrett line of the original game. This when he looks in on the Genova tanks and goes creepy looking, where's its damn head. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you're like an encyclopedia for that stuff. Yeah, I know. Like, I didn't even remember that. <laughs> it is uh, Barrett's writing is punched up quite a bit in this all for the better. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, but I think yeah, that sequence uh, going up until and you and I talked about this a few times, Jay. The trail of blood sequence, which is the last section of Hojo's lab, is handled fantastically. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Josh, how did you feel? Um, did you do you want more information on the Cetra? How did you feel about this area um, in the game? Y- yes, I still think there's. Well, we've already been given basically all the information we ever had on them in the original. Um, already um, in the remake, um, they move almost all the information you get in Cosmo Canyon to an IMAX presentation in Shinra Tower, um, which is interesting, and it does kind of, something I've mentioned a few other times about just moving information up so you know the stakes, um, which I think is good, because I think it's the first game, so it's early on, but you need to know what the stakes are. Um, and I think it was good. Uh, so it, it did make me curious about what else is going on with them. So I, you know, I, I think they did a good job with that. Yeah. Um, overall. So, okay. Did you have any major thoughts about what's happening at this point? Obviously rich voice that he really likes the, the Hojo sequences. Are there any major I, things here that you enjoyed? I, yeah. Hojo was handled really well in this game. Um, he's always been kind of this, you know, again, cartoon villain type thing. He just, I need to experiment on everything, uh, including once he finally got voiced in Dirge of Cerberus, they give him that exact voice. Like his, yeah. his voice actor in Dirge of Cerberus is just completely over the top type, you know, uh, you know, mustache twirling villain. Um, and I'm That's glad right. that they just made him so much creepier in this. Um, Though he I, doesn't try and make Aerith fuck a tiger in this version. Yeah, that too. Just That's just true. some random soldier. Which scientifically... S- type. Scientifically seems smarter. Uh, You'd think, yeah. Than the, like, I, I don't know what... I don't know of a scientist who'd think that a human lady could fuck a tiger and produce offspring. I don't yeah. know who Joe don't Exotic know who, would think that. Who thought that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where you guys get in the theory that Hojo thought Aerith was supposed to be the one doing the uh, the initial fornicating. I, I'm pretty sure that Red, Red would take the lead on that, but yeah, yeah. Can we just take this conversation and expand on it a little bit? Yeah. We, we can actually deflate it. We're going to do the opposite. It's done. Oh, um, wow. No, I okay. So you you largely agree, and I think yeah, I think that's fair. And 
um i'll kind of lead us into that a little bit more but i want morgan oh. to have a chance oh good i it's not directly related to hojo but just the tower in general um and it's kind of also related back to you know seeing the plate fall and everything else um this is the middle of a terrorist attack a bunch of stuff has just happened there's you know mass destruction and somehow you show up to infiltrate the tower and everyone's still at work just behaving normally in the original and in this one they do a much better job of explaining it as of course they've all got to be here there's a crisis going on so these people are still trying to do their jobs in the middle of a crisis Uh, essential personnel maybe you might say yeah and it it does a much better (laughs) job of getting across why these people are still in the tower um and granted, they didn't even... They could have cleared out the tower for the most part in this one because they cut out basically all the puzzles and stuff going on about, you know, everything you do interacting with all those people in the tower for the most part. Um, but, yeah, just, I feel like they've, again, generally grounding a lot more of the story going on. Um which is kind of what makes the completely ridiculous stuff stand out even more because they have done a really good job of explaining so many of those things. Yeah. Yes. I, I do want to, I want to expand upon this. I want to give Morgan an opportunity yeah. to speak on this before I do though. Morgan, go ahead. Yeah, I'll be pretty brief. And I do want to tell our listeners uh, for me personally, it's important to let people know like how much these games I play and don't play. And in this case, this is where I, this is where I got as far as I ended up getting. And I ended up just absorbing a shitload of, (laughs) of content while I was driving around at work yesterday from YouTubes to podcasts, just to try and like know what I was talking about. I I knew you guys were going to talk about it. So I had to have that in in the memory bank. It, and it made me ask a lot of questions about what the Cetras were. I was trying to find out what the deal, what they were, why Hojo was injecting babies with Genova. It was just like, what the hell is going on? So I, I pretty much learned all of the final fantasy seven ins and outs that I couldn't remember. And, uh, yeah, I got some questions for you guys, but now is probably not the time. Um, but yeah, so I absorbed the rest of the game after this point and, uh, I just wanted to be clear on that, but, um, okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, so, so do you want to see more of Cetra explored in further installments? Well, it's, it's just still a confusing thing to me because like, I know she, I, they sound like some sort of ancient people, but Aerith is pretty young, and so that kind of confused me, like, why that was. They're not and saying then, she's ancient. Uh, well, she's, like, half Cetra or something, right? Like Correct. She's like, Correct. Her mother, her mother was, um, which they do talk about. In she's of the, the bloodline. It doesn't necessarily yes. mean she's old. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. Are just, they are both descendants of the Cetra. And and why does, does Genova hate the Cetra so much? This is something we don't learn in the remake yet. So um, that's, like, something, do, that's something I can tell you about. about off, we don't... I can tell you oh, okay. about that off the air if you'd like. Yeah, uh, just oh, because so I you want... don't want to talk about anything after the remake. No, I want to get that. Yeah, that's what oh, I was telling Josh earlier. Okay. I want to keep it to the remake um, as best as possible. Yeah. Okay. I retract my injecting baby thing. No, that that's fine. That's fine. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the thing. Like, if you didn't play the um, when they find that secret Shinra lab, a lot of that stuff is implied. So um, you don't need to retract that. Don't worry about that. A lot of that stuff yeah. is implied it, in this game. It's not just come out. He hasn't come out and directly said 
what you said, but it's heavily implied. So, I I would be cool if we had someone that like had never played the game. I would say I had a good chunk of it I had forgotten, but I mean I did play like I played the whole game as a kid, so I can't. I'm not one of those people. I may have forgotten a lot of it, but it did happen. <laughs> yeah, no, same thing. A lot of a lot of this game I have forgotten about a lot of smaller pieces, so it's been nice because like I actually haven't gone back and read the original plot line again i'm heavily considering buying it on my switch and playing it again because i've forgotten so many things you, you know what how many final fan this made me think about this how many final fantasy games have talking animals in them as party members all of them well not no sorry no that have don't talk about gal like that six does seven does nine does i guess if you consider queen ten an does. animal ten does kimari Is kimari an animal yeah i guess so freya is a rat person so nine. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of animal you think. Queen I guess is. I was thinking like the traditional on, clowns on all fours kind of an animal that talks to you, but it was just weird. I was like, oh yeah, talking animals, of course. Yeah. Um, I like red. At least I half like of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for me, I definitely want to hear more about the Cetra. It was kind of interesting. Um, Josh talks about it's like basically like an IMAX presentation in the Shinra Tower, and it gave me vague vibes of the older Assassin's Creed games when you would like get these sequences and you're learning about like the origins of kind of what you're doing. Oh yeah. And yeah. I really enjoyed learning more about the Cetra because it's more, it's just more world building and yeah, like it, it heightens the sense of urgency and what they're trying to do essentially. And what, sh- and it shows um, basically the, plans of shinra and the negative implications of what they are potentially trying to do i really enjoyed that um as to what rich and josh were saying they really liked the hojo sequences and everything leading up to the top of shinra tower i loved the the hojo lab sequence i think that was probably um one of the strongest parts of the game for sure the way they handled that, like everything kind of, you know, just bubbling around in there and it just feels a little bit creepy. The boss fight in there was handled very well. Um, the introduction of Red 13, all of that. What I thought was actually much weaker in this game, comparatively, was leading up to the tower itself after you escape Hojo's lab. Because um in the original it's done so much more creepily you have this very very haunting music it's like do 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 and just these long drawn out notes and then you remember there's a few seconds of silence and you hear bum bum and just like that music was it's that full horror aspect that we talked about Mm -hmm. it was so unsettling and you're moving through the floors and people like um up to this if anyone point, wants like, it for ambiance that track's called trail of blood yes it is and um just shinra executives and guards are slain and you don't know what the hell is going on um man was that that sequence still to this day gives me chills it's so well handled and like like josh said they they get rid of some of the puzzles which i was thankful for like some of those puzzles were silly Weird. and un- unnecessary in 2020 um but that that just that feeling of what the hell is going on something here extremely powerful is at work that was removed 
and that is like that sequence the trail of blood sequence is one of my top three sequences in that entire game Mm -hmm. and so i mean for me personally it didn't live up to my expectations i i thought the full horse um aspect of the original handled that sequence so much better not to say that it was bad in the remake uh and this is also it was different and this is also the time that the whispers start showing up almost every single cutscene, which also further pulled me out of the experience as well uh but yeah i just did it they'd explained what they are at that point they did but like they didn't need to be in every sequence and that's yeah, they're they so bad i did though because at that for point, what they were doing at that point there were several deaths that had been prevented well we're all, yeah we're about to get to that yeah all over the place and they needed to be everywhere well i the the thing i'm going to agree and disagree with you on more on the disagree side is that every single cutscene showed them at that point and granted yes we need to know that there's a presence there but as i told you guys at the beginning of the podcast you're on the the stream of the story and they're plucking you out like oh just be aware they're still here and then they keep stringing you along and granted it's explained to you what they're there for but they don't need to be in every single cutscene i think they, they, they really i think they do at that point because it's obvious the game's not the same game like we're playing oh, no a doubt. new game and like at that point See. like they've they'd already changed a bunch of stuff but it was just like oh artistic decisions and then by this point of the game it's obvious oh no we're just changing stuff um and drawing attention to it and i think that's you know it's it's important for them to establish that it's going to be a different game yeah. but at the same time i don't need to see another 5 seconds of them swirling around in the sky them pushing between the characters like to me that pulls me out of the experience. I told well, Rich, we, when I finished the game, that is the first thing I said to Rich. I was like, I finished the game, fucking loved it. Why were the whispers in every single cutscene? Because it pulls me out of the experience. If if they're in there more frequently towards the end because they're establishing something, that's fine. But every single sequence, and just to show them flying around for five seconds, I didn't need that. And it honestly, for me, and I get I get your guys' point, for me, it just completely pulled me out. Every time that something serious was happening, except the few that you were referencing, Josh. Go ahead. Well, Sorry, guys. I have a lot to say, but I want to wait till you talk about Barrett, because that's when I think it's easier to talk about. Okay. Okay. The that's, that, scene. that's fair. And all I'll say on that real quick is just I, I get what you're saying and how that having like an adverse effect and being so different. And I even expressed to you at the time, like I don't think it's an unvalid criticism. It just did not pull me out in the same way. It just did not have that effect on me. And that's fair. I'm not against them changing things at all. I want to be very, very clear about that. I um I think Rich and I are actually between the between the four of us, I think I'm Rich and I are the most open to them making changes. Not to say that the other two aren't, but him and I love this the original so much that we're open to different perspectives on the original source material. Um original source material being a redundant phrase. But um moving past that, the, the I want to stress that I'm not against them making different choices. 
just this particular choice in the way it was implemented um, and the frequency to which it was implemented is what really detracted from yeah. the main no, story I, arc for I me. I can see that. Like At that point, I had already realized it's not the same game, but basing it off of my initial reading of, oh, it's just the live stream protecting itself or whatever, if you're still thinking that at that point, it's like, okay, we fucking get it. Like, but yeah, we at this point we clearly know that's not the case, though. So, do they reveal what the whispers are during the Barrett scene? Is that my? They understanding? reveal that's what they he... are. Red Thirteen reveals it to you, which who knows how he knows what they are? The, but no, no, right? The, no, they they reveal time. how he knows. Um, when well, Arif and him well, make yeah, contact, Aerith, yeah, Aerith, they, but like. Even that Magic. is sketchy. It's like, a reach. It's a reach because she shouldn't even know that much. <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's what I was, the explanation yeah. of it. Because at the beginning well, of the game, she doesn't seem to know what they are. And I don't think she really does. I think it's more supposed to, almost like a, I don't know if it's like a genetic memory riff or something, because it's almost like he just came to an understanding of this by being in contact with an ancient. I think that's what's probably part of what we're going to learn in future episodes or future installments, future, whatever you want to call them, um, is exactly how she knows this information. And I'm sure that it's going to be what you guys are saying. It's going to be some kind of thing where, um, any Cetras or descendants of the ancients are kind of the, the information is kind of woven into their genetic code kind of thing, or, or whispered to them by the planet. I don't think we need to go that far. Cause They've kind of already done that. I mean, that's the plot of Seven, was that Genova's still exerting her will through her DNA. Yeah. It's the plot of Seven. It's the plot of Dirge of Cerberus, where Hojo gets the idea from Genova and decides to upload himself onto the internet so eventually he can but control somebody through his brain. It's, yeah. Um, so I think the idea of there being some genetic memory of, you know the cetera just imparting this knowledge i think that's reasonable i think that's a reasonable way to look at it i think so. it's the only thing that really makes sense and even if you don't want to call it a genetic memory or more like remnants of her connection yeah, to I mean, the there's life magic stream. in the world yeah so and therefore connection to the rest of her race yeah. yeah the only other thing i could somehow see them doing is like she was given this information either by her mother or by her time spent at the Shinra headquarters, but it was so traumatic that yeah. she blocked it well, out. And that, I don't think they're going to go along yeah. that route. Their scriptures I are still think. available enough for not just Shinra to know, but for Barrett to have gotten a copy and read enough of it to quote them at several times. So apparently the Cetra scriptures, even though we never see them, are widely-ish available. Um, he got that on the Shinra internet. Mm-hmm. Shin, Shinternet? Shinra net. Mm-hmm. Shinra net. Ah. by Hojo. <laughs> it's what the people want. All right. Well, let's move on. We, trust me, we still have a lot more to go. The group of five reached the top of Shinra headquarters, and after a brief confrontation with President Shinra, <laughs> Sephiroth assassinates him. He also unexpectedly impales Barrett. The Whispers <laughs> save Barrett while the rest of the party fights an illusory Genova creature. Rufus, President Shinra's son, 
arrives shortly after and fights Cloud, but is defeated. He announces that he's the new president of Shinra and flees. Cloud hijacks a motorcycle and the rest hijack a truck, and they flee via the Midgar Expressway. They find Sephiroth waiting for them at the end, and he challenges Cloud to a duel. A portal to another dimension is opened, and Aerith reveals that destiny will be changed if they continue and enter. The group enters the portal and fights the Whisper Harbinger, which is a giant mass of whispers. Simultaneously, in what appears to be an alternate timeline, Soldier Zack Fair fights Shinra troops and tries to save Cloud. The Whisper Harbinger is defeated, and Sephiroth seizes the remaining power of the Whispers. The group overwhelms Sephiroth as Cloud is about to deliver the finishing blow. Sephiroth whisks them away to the edge of creation, a beautiful metaphysical realm. He advises Cloud to join him, and together they can defy fate. Cloud rejects the offer and attacks Sephiroth, but is defeated. Sephiroth spares him, and before he leaves, he ominously warns Cloud that he will have seven seconds to defy fate. Okay. The entire alternate Ooh. dimension is something that wasn't even touched upon in the original. There is a lot, a lot to unpackage here. But for the sake of time, I'm going to pare it down to one question. Josh, what do you think that ominous warning from Sephiroth is pertaining to? I have no idea. Sephiroth counting down was a thing in the original, so like it seems to be just his dramatic flair like to be counting down to something. He counts down to something at that boss fight as well. That Part of me wanted to just you know, sit there and Die wait to, see, to what see what happens. But then I'm like, this fight's really long, and I didn't. Um, but I like, assumed he would just cast Ultima or something. Maybe. That would make sense. Um, but Wasn't he Meteor in the original? He cast Meteor, and she was... That's a little too bombastic for part one. That's kind of the whole FF7 plot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's like that's the, the point. They allude to that again. Uh, uh, sometimes we're talking about during this fate section, they're able to see the future and see spoilers that happened all the way up until the after end credits of the original yeah. game. They're able to see that and potentially avoid it. Yeah, they actually they actually show sequences. I'm sure you guys, yeah, uh, you guys had pointed this out. They showed sequences of Crisis Core. They showed a sequence of Advent Children as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, there's there are some allusions there to yeah the future things that happen long after the original game, which is and, and I think Red's line when when uh, it, whether it's Barrett who asks what they just saw, Red's exact line delivery is tomorrow's future if we fail here today. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your exact question? Oh, the the seven seconds thing. I don't know yeah. what the seven seconds thing uh, alludes to because I don't think that was really touched on at all. 
before. Um, if you don't mind, Josh, if I could tag on to what you were saying uh, about the fate thing, mm-hmm. is that if that's okay with Shay? Um, this was the one part I was looking forward to talking about the most. I think of of sitting and thinking about this game for a week. Um, when I was I, I'm curious what you guys think about this too because. I could, there was some stuff that I could not believe. I could not believe that they killed a primary character just to get your reaction to only reverse it immediately, which is like one of my big narrative pet peeves. Um, I couldn't believe in the whole, the, you're, I believe I'm only going to tell you talked about Shay, but the, uh, they basically explained that those whisper things are, you know, they're just, they're there to control fate and make it happen a certain way. So it's basically like, my understanding was you can't die yet. You're not supposed to die this way, right? So let me bring you back to life. And then the whispers latch on to Barrett and bring him back to life, correct? Yeah. And before before I'm going to let you continue, because what my initial plan was to have you guys answer this question and then open the floor to you guys to kind of discuss all that we just discussed, because there is a lot to unpackage. Um, I was using this question as kind of a baseline for us to get further into that. Before you unpackage literally everything, because you're about to unpackage Everything I just summed up, let's answer the question first, and then I will give you all the time in the world to discuss that if you want. Um, That way, we just kind of have a point of basis, because what you're doing right now is you're literally unpackaging every single piece, that every single thread, and there's going to be 10 different ways we can all jump in. So let's keep it a little bit more focused, and then we will slowly unpackage everything. I because I do want you I want to give you the op, ample opportunity to discuss everything that's happening just to have a basic point of reference for us to get into that conversation. Uh, I was I was just avoiding because I have no idea why he's counting down. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't even know. I don't. Well, know. That, this is for fun. Just predict. Predict off of what you've seen, what you read. What do you think? Not. I mean, if if Josh doesn't even know, then I sure as fuck don't know. So <laughs> okay, no. fair enough. Rich, what do you think? Uh, well, faring on that line of like seven seconds to defy fate, uh, assuming we're going off the idea that this is like some sort of alternate timeline Sephiroth or something to that effect, uh, I'd imagine it's about Cloud's choice going forward here about the party pursuing him, um, which Cloud makes either way, uh... And I think I was sort of re-solidified in that by, like, recent comment from Nomura where he basically said there are no plans to dramatically change the story. Which is already bullshit because they've already completely yeah, changed the story. already changed. Yeah, yes, yeah no, really, while, while yeah. I agree with you, I, I think... What does that mean? I mean more in the context of, like, the, it seems more to me like they're trying to fit this into the regular story as, like, being a thing that they're recontextualizing... Like, I don't think they're going to get to truly change fate in any... I, I want them to be able to. I. It seems like they already did. It seems like at the end of the game, they not... Aerith alludes to this, oh, we will change ourselves. They they did. At After the last boss, and we mentioned this at some point in passing about them changing the outcome of Crisis Core, it seems yeah. like there's a ripple effect there that stops Zack from dying at the end of Crisis Core. Because the ending is completely different. They but show that... the whispers exploding at that point. Well, yeah. hold, hold on, hold on. You way guys are jumping way too far yeah. forward. You guys are jumping way too but far forward. But... Anyway, it's no, like I get, something's I get already changed. Saying. Just fundamentally, like before the game even started, it looks like it's a different baseline. Right, moving, right, right. Moving forward. 
Yeah. yeah. That that raises bigger questions about well, where is Zach now than if he's not dead? But that that's a totally different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The there when I thought about this question because this is something that I've kind of been thinking about. I came up with <clears throat> two possible ideas. One, it was a play on the name Final Fantasy VII. Well, I figured that's what the seven was, but right. yeah, and which is fucking lame. Um, two, yeah. uh, Sephiroth always counts down from eight usually, though, because he's got like a bunch of eight themed moves. That, that's in true. The original so that, and in this one, yeah. but yeah, yeah. But two, uh, the big, big, big thing, like the big sequence that really, really. Every fan who ever played the original remembers this game and was horrified by what happened, which happens later in the original that doesn't happen in this remake. I felt like that statement would pertain to that exact sequence because of what you're talking about, Josh, is the fact that even though Nomura, as you said, Rich, basically said, like, we're not changing the original too much, the source material, Josh is calling bullshit. I agree. I could very well see that being the case because as we saw up until this point, Wedge is not dead. He wasn't the original. He's yeah, not dead yeah. in this remake. Wedge is and up in the air. Wedge is, well, yeah, but yeah, the, he wasn't, he's not shown at the very end, but he's already much more alive than he previously was. He exactly. made it through a lot more of the game than he did in the past. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so that to me, <laughs> just and, and even, Biggs, Biggs also makes a dramatic recovery from well, death. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that later. Yeah, good for yes. him. Wait, what? What are you guys talking about? Hold on, about? hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop, 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 stop. Don't jump okay. too far ahead. <laughs> we will get there. Stop. God. You guys are wanting to jump ahead. I get it. Let us go. No, Play free, Daddy. I'm, not, I'm gonna let you go. Give me a minute. With them showing that they're willing to, um, explore upon the old formula to the point of where they've actually changed some of the story. I could see that seven seconds be being in reference to that. Um, Possibly. Now, they did already show us that moment. That's the sequence that would make sense. And when I've talked with you about this in the past, Shay, that's the one I would, I would want changed because I think knowing what's to come, like that's the scene you need to have like some confidence by yourself to like, no, we can do this differently and it'll be impactful. Right. Right. Because like they, they've seen these sequences, we haven't seen what they react. Maybe in the next game, where like obviously they're gonna go to the f- they're gonna go to the first town and talk about what just happened. Maybe that's something they talk about what they saw. But that's I'm getting ahead now, and I'm gonna stop myself. I'm redconning myself. But um, no. So Morgan, I want to unpackage the first thing you said. Um, the whole Barrett sequence. I. Like I'm gonna be honest with you guys, when that when that shit happened, I like my jaw dropped. I was like, "What the hell?" Like it like it shocked me. And then exactly what Morgan's saying. Only you do a fight, and then after the fight, he's back on his feet. And I I it left me scratching my head. Like, what the hell was that decision made for? It was like, whiplash. Yeah, like why even do that if you're like i get the why of doing it but it seems like such an unnecessary way to illustrate that right right i i do i th- i think it was unnecessary i think other than it's something people would remember i we're talking about it 
Well, no, 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 just not just from that side of it, but from yeah, yeah, from the original. Like people are gonna be less sure of, huh? Did Biggs and Wedge make it out of there? Like I thought they died. They're never seen again. But then again, we never really go back to Midgar, so maybe they were alive in the original. And I kind of feel like this was just to really drive it home. Oh no, these things are reversing death. Because a, you sure know that Barrett didn't die. <laughs> yeah, and I think that may have been it. Like, we, we need to have somebody here that it's really, really obvious that these things are, you know, that powerful of a force. For, but I do agree for, that it seemed a little yeah. heavy-handed as far as what was required to get that a, across. A, a little is an understatement, mm-hmm. Josh. The, yeah, he's going for the shot. They want that shock value, but they don't want any real cons. That's the problem, I think, with this f- sort of fiction to me as a whole that it's hard for me to get into and respect is that there's it doesn't really feel like there's any stakes to me because well, if... Hold on just a moment. Right, I'm going to let you finish. If you're dead, well, he can bring you back to life. If you were dead in another game, hey, maybe there's another timeline. You know, it's. I don't think that's quite the message. If a helicopter blows up at your feet, you're going to be fine if they want. There's, there's no real stakes. It's it, nothing really. You can undo anything in the next game if you want to. It's, it just feels like fan fiction to me, and no, I just don't respect it. I think that's completely wrong because now there actually are stakes. Previously, there was the original game. You know exactly what's going to happen. It will play out that way. Period. Now that's all up in the air. And now not only, oh, maybe they'll change these minor things because of artistic decisions. This is intentionally showing none of that has any bearing on anything going forward. Anything can happen. Um, Because they were reversing Barrett's death because, oh, he's not supposed to die then. And then you kill the people that brought him back to death because he wasn't supposed to die then. So now anything can happen. Um, It's not, but that's the problem though, Josh, with... With writing, you can you have the freedom to do whatever you want. It's it's how you execute it. the The way you're executing it to me is the problem. Like you need the you need them, you need these ghosts to like literally be fate. It's like it's like the bad end of what Kojima does, where it's like they beat you over the head with like, "Did you get this? This means this. These ghosts are fate, guys. Oh, this is fate. You know, we can change our future now. You get it? You get it?" And from what I saw in all that stuff. That some of my biggest pet peeves with parallel universes in in fiction is that it just gives you like a lazy way to write anything you want. You know, it's I don't think it's good writing. It's not clever, and there are no stakes because it's exactly the opposite of what you said, Josh. You can they can they could have still changed things from the original. It's the execution of how they're well, doing it that feels. That's, cheap. that's exactly what the the issue here is, though. Um, the the implementation versus the implication, which is, I think, where the differences lie there. Yeah, it's for I, the lowest I think, common denominator I of just fan. don't like, agree I don't that there's no stakes. because I, it, I don't either. This message totally, like, this totally leans in the opposite end of that. What you're saying is there were these creatures that could reverse death, so there are no stakes. You end the game by killing those creatures, destroying them, and now the stakes are more real than ever. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying, because, because, because like, Sephiroth now they have, granted, they didn't need to have the whispers there. They could have just remade the game and done whatever they wanted, but had they exactly. done that, 
people would have revolted. Like the idiots. <laughs> this is Final Fantasy VII. People just wanted a but, remaster of it. Let's be honest. Well, Josh, Everyone just wanted a remaster from... with up-to-date graphics. That's that's what everyone yes. wanted. But you, Josh, and me, and Rich, and Rich, we're we're. It's pandering. It's so. It feels so cheap to me. Like we don't need this obvious shit. Like I feel like it's placating to a very common denominator of of fan that I. Do you, did you need them to spell that out for you, Josh? Because I don't think you did. To tell the story the way they were telling it, yeah. Because that that was a vital point of it. Like what we're we're talking about is what Josh said versus them just making it and just straight up changing it. This is like a totally different play on yeah. that. No, I it's think the way they, they chose to, to tell the story. I do. No, I think it is necessary because, like I said, at the end, they changed things that happened before the game. And for them to have decided, okay, we want not just a different game, but to it for, for it to have started in a completely different place, that would have been even more wordy to try to go back and explain away why nothing in Crisis Core happened exactly the way you saw it forever ago. And also, several of these characters that, you know, we know were one way at the beginning of the story just aren't. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. The whole story is ridiculous. Like, had they changed nothing, the story is ridiculous. It's, that's them adding one more ridiculous thing so they can then change whatever they want, I don't think really is all that crazy. Because like I said, this is a this is a game where, you know, people can mind control, you know, clones through their <laughs> cells and stuff. It's... Right. Um, it's, yeah. I, I, while you guys gather your thoughts, I'm going to say one thing, and this is... One thing I was trying to jump in with, I wanted to let you guys get your thoughts out. Um, I think the issue is with the original, when you consider up to this point, a lot of the implication was never there because they did not do a good job of building up certain aspects of the story. For example, Sephiroth was very well built up. Other aspects, not built up at all. Large gaps in knowledge large gaps in world building and character development with this remake a lot of that happens and some of the implementation is something that i think morgan really doesn't like i somewhat didn't like in accordance with the whispers and how they were handled um you got uh, josh and rich you guys were able to more accept what it was because and i'm i'm slightly on this side of i didn't really like that aspect but i also accept it because i see the implement or the implementation even though i didn't like it for that the implications of what could happen far exceeds that implementation and what i mean by that and this is why morgan i think josh and rich and myself all disagree with you on the stakes is that the original had these gaps of information, so you never really had full grasp of the stakes. Um, and this is part of what I was leading to earlier with my questions of the plate falling, of the bombing. Yes, those are terrible things, and they are addressed in the original. But you never truly feel 
the repercussions of those reactions like you do in the remake where you're walking through the streets and you're seeing people bleeding out in the streets, people taking care of each other, people begging for food, people asking what the hell is going on. You see the repercussions there. Um, the remake does such a fantastic job of that. And with the whispers, no, nobody needs that spelled out. And again, I think that they rely too heavily on showing those in the amount of um, cutscenes that they did and sequences that they did. But they've, what I felt like they did this entire game was fill in gaps of information that were necessary that were missing from the original. And they've also uh, cultivated this this storyline to basically say, hey, the original exists. Here's a reinterpretation of that. We don't know how far or how little that is going to deviate from the source material. Let's play around with it a little bit. And yes, maybe I didn't like that Barrett sequence as much as maybe some other people did. Um, but I understand the implications for that. And yeah. it did pay off later in the game. And so I I really, really think... it was. That that the implication of everything that has happened up to this point is super important because yeah. we're going to see changes and we're going to see things unfold in a way that maybe they should have in the original. Sorry, yeah, Josh, no, ahead. this it was. I agree that it was a very heavy-handed way of showing that we were in a different Spider Verse, but. Yeah, well, now that we're here, Final Fantasy now is, that we're here, it's MCU yeah. now. Yeah, it's it's, and that's the, that's my problem. Is like the last thing in the world that I would want personally is Final Fantasy to become MCU. That's not the kind of fiction that's I want. Not what? No, but like that's that's the I'm talking about the Spider Verse thing that you're saying. Well, he's just using that to explain like a multiverse thing. But yes, that's what that's what that's I'm talking hardly about, yeah. like Marvel is hardly the first. But if, the, if you, the, that's a very you'd probably want to look example. at Star Trek, which would be a much yes, it was a, bigger it was just a joke. But yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. No, you're you're right. Marvel is not the weird. That's weird. Marvel is not the only multiverse. I have no idea. Hey, hey, there's there's <laughs> that sarcasm I know and love. <laughs> but anyway, but, yeah, no, yeah. like I think I would rather have just seen, like I said, a remaster. Obviously not a remaster, because I like the new combat systems. They've done a much better job with that. Um, but, like, just story beat for story beat, basically leave it alone. They're not doing that. They've really, really drawn attention to the fact that ain't happening. Um, and, yeah, so no one has any idea what's happening for the remainder of these games at this point. So... Yeah, we have no idea. Like, there, we literally have no idea. What I'm more they, excited about little... that, though. To be, yeah. to be frank, like the, to me, there's there's more value in doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Like, I, I, uh, like again, I would have rather seen the other. As far as oh, uh, the things they had changed were mostly good, like we said, but there was some. They're not all winners. For 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 it to end up being basically the same game, if if they don't drastically change it from here on out, 
would be strange. It's not worth just just give up on it. Don't ever go back to this one. Just move on with your life. Go back and play the original. If it ends up being basically the same game from here on out, um, but the changes they made were were fine for the most part. Just like minor things here and there, better storytelling type things. Um, but that's obviously not what they're doing. So, I mean, at this point, how good the story ends up being is completely up to the rest of the games because they've thrown away, oh, this is the same game, um, as a, as a reason to do all that. Granted, it's the same people, you know, with the same motivations and stuff. Um, in the same goal. In the same goal, but, but they can do whatever they want. Because there are just little things here and there that have they already literally changed. murdered fate. Yeah. Um, so if they don't take advantage of that, you know, then why in do fairly it in the first major place? ways, then yeah, then it's going to really make everything they did in this game feel pointless. Se- yeah, exactly. Just seem completely pointless. Do you? So I didn't know the whispers were gone. I thought Sephiroth just absorbed them into his sword, and that they were some. I didn't know they are. So they're gone for good. Uh, that's the implication. We don't know yeah. that. And it seems that's, that way. that's part of why, and that's part yeah. of what's so exciting going forward is, are they going to return? Or yeah. do they have a part to play in this? We don't know. Yeah. Cause <laughs> like, like I was saying thing. with the whole, it rippling through time during that end thing, it's kind of intercut with the end of crisis core. But for some reason there are whispers there too. Mm. And then when you kill the whispers at the end of the game here, they also explode at the end of the game in Crisis Core, and somehow Zack yeah. is still alive. So right, there's right. this implication that they're just gone. Well, yeah, and yeah, and one thing I I was gonna tease a little bit later, but I will I will tease it now. That way I can kind of ra- uh, wrangle us back in. Is that we? For my plan, um, Rich is all on board with it. We are going to be doing a second part to this podcast. Um, specifically with Final Fantasy VII, and one thing we're going to do, this one was more geared towards the narrative. That one is going to be more looking at the changes of the original to the remake and talking about those differences specifically. So a lot of the implication stuff we're kind of talking about now will probably fit that podcast more. And um, if you, if you as a listener are interested in that, definitely check that one out. That'll be following this one um and we will be totally spoiling even the original in that one just to talk a little bit about yes, some yes. of the stuff we touched on um, here right yes i um yeah i would say go ahead i would say that just to finalize the thing um i guess what i what i was saying is just as far as stakes go is that i feel like a lot of the when you have something like a large-scale like when you guys are talking about the NPCs in the game and stuff like that, I feel like in most writing, it's like when you're watching a film and like, it's like a, let's say like a disaster movie and there's a hundred CGI people that get crushed under a building that's falling over as a monster walks by or something. And you don't think anything of it. It's, I think for me, it's like the stakes are when, when primary characters, there, there's just things that throughout my whole life, and I've talked to you guys about these before that are like my big pet peeves. And I couldn't believe that like he hit all of them. One is parallel universes and writing. Um, not in science and theory and stuff, but like parallel universes and writing, because I feel like it gives the author the just like this 
free notebook to be like, okay, well, what if there's another dimension where Josh likes Red Dead? <gasps> Wouldn't that be crazy? It's the same Josh, but he actually likes Red Dead. It's just, it's just like you can write anything you want, and 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 now they're taking really important parts of that. We don't know how it's going to come together yet, but they're like, hey, you like this character? Well, guess what? We're bringing him back to life because parallel universes. Check out this bag of chips with a different doggy on it. And then, um, so I guess for me, stakes has to do with, like, mostly the primary characters you care about. They, you're not going to be, like, if they die, this game in particular, it's like, the deaths, you know, seem less consequential to me. The parallel universe thing as well. They're undoing deaths. I just, it's just kind of some pet peeves I have with fiction that I, that have always kind of irritated. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. One thing that I think it'll be kind of like a little way to end just this part of the game is I didn't realize how ridiculous it is in the original. I definitely realized it now playing the remake, how President Shinra is murdered. And then like 10 minutes later, his son just knows to show up to the headquarters. Well, he was summoned. See, and I didn't. Was he? He was summoned by Palmer and Heidegger, I believe. Because he was away, and they established that the vice president is away, and he's been summoned back. Okay, so when well, was he summoned? Because yeah. I don't really remember the sequence. Uh, I don't think they say it. They don't say in it in this, this, but it's implied after I, in the original. I want to yeah, say that's Palmer why he comes in by helicopter. One. It's kind of also the president dies in a different way in the original, mm-hmm. um, and I believe yeah, it's Palmer yeah. discovers his body, and at that point they call for the vice president. Right? Is yeah? Isn't it in the original like you come across? It's kind of you come across the president's body. He's been stabbed. Yeah, right. well, yeah. yeah. And the sword. And the you never just... sword is sitting. Yeah, inside of him. Yeah. yeah, that's that, how Cloud that, knows it's Sephiroth because you never see him in the tower in the original. Mm-hmm. That I think that's a perfect example for, like, just how in it's a small thing, but it sh- kind of shows that how inartistic it is in this one. We got to show him get stabbed. And it's just like, well, it's because that's... it was the end capper in this. Like, I understand it. I do still think it, like we talked about a little bit earlier. It was better in the original because it was like this more horror driven scene and you don't even see Sephiroth and you just have this understanding of cloud being terrified. And when they're like, he's here, we are going to have to fight him. And clouds being like, we can't fight him. We cannot fight this guy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. This this game has less subtlety. It's just like let's spell everything out. Let's show it right out front. Well, it's like by, by the nature of this sequence, being I the agree. end. Yeah, I think yeah. it had to be because it's the it's the end capper this time. Yeah, that's the big difference there. I, unfortunately, yeah, I don't think it had well. to be, but I do think that they were. Again, it's the same moment that Barrett dies. That they're they're really driving home the point that you know. Certain, this isn't the same. Certain things are just ordained to happen in a certain way. Um, they they, yes. just, they because, just happen he- heavy-handed, yeah. like Morgan is saying. Yeah, like, like the, shortly the, the, after the, that, how in your face they are. Yeah, like shortly after that, you almost recovered Genova's body, and they stop you from doing that. Like there's just mm-hmm. there's so many so many little things that happen right at the end, but, which is why there are whispers everywhere. They're they're just. They're doing everything all at once because there's you you guys have managed to drastically change what is possible at the end of the game uh, or what would be the end of the first disc at that point. And they're just, you know, they're going crazy. Like none of this shit's supposed to happen. Like we, we right. really have to fix all this as soon as possible. 
Right. Um, yeah. Uh, even Hojo gets Hojo is about to reveal something to Cloud that he doesn't know for a much longer time into the game, and he gets ushered away by the whispers before he can spill the beans. It, yeah. It. I. I get why the appeal of like people, if you really don't want more of that story, then basically it's like the creators saying, "Hey, we like these characters. Let's just do whatever the fuck we want in that world," and they're giving themselves free reign to do that. And I, I get the appeal of you guys in wanting that. I, I didn't want it to be the same. For like, I just want to be clear. For me, it was just the execution of how it was done. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of like the shot by shot remake. Although it might have been cool. I was thinking it was going to be more along the lines of like the Jesse stuff, expanding on stuff that was there a little bit to give more context instead of these like rapid parallel universes. Ghosts yeah. that change fate. You know what I mean? I thought that's where it was heading, and then it really got Japanese anime on me. It, um, it, yeah, but, and it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's weird that it's weird that that's your criticism, and I get it because you are such a fan of Kojima, which I feel like does that too. But the difference there with Kojima is, I will say this: he's consistent with his wackiness. He's consistent throughout, so yeah. you know what well, you're getting yourself known... into yeah. the moment you start that game. Whereas this one. Is he, though? Because I like Metal Gear. Fair enough. That's... I, the, yeah, I, don't, I didn't want to bring Kojima into this, and we probably shouldn't, but no. I just... It's not worth his... the comparison. It's, it's, yeah. it's two yeah, totally different things. Nobody's controlled apples to oranges. By yeah. dead people's cells in that game. Nope. Um, no. It's... <laughs> that was a ghost. Oh, wait. And I think the only interesting thing I think about it for other people is that now we know it was like completely different than I think anyone expected. It wasn't just a re- it wasn't a remake. It wasn't even like a beefed up remake with with you know expositions. It was like a completely like it was a reimagining with an opening to do whatever the fuck they want. So right, yeah. and I'm okay with it. I want to see where they take it. Um, as long as like Josh said. It isn't like the lost ending, which is like, oh no, we're, we're, we're like, it's not, it's not, um, purgatory pretty much was. Yeah. Like, and I, I think... was fine. I was fine with that ending being that I was even fine. Even though the fact that they lied, it kind of pissed me off, but I also was like, well, that was kind of the natural conclusion of that. Yeah. So if they do that with this game where they're like, oh, anything's possible, but largely keep it the same. Yeah. The only reason why I'd be majorly bothered was that I had to suffer through the whispers f- through the first installment and go through the sequence and to have yeah. some other things suffer as a result, like the creepiness of uh, the introduction of Sephiroth, for that all to amount to nothing. That How we look me. back on this is 100% contingent on where it goes next. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's. I think that's the the point that moves us forward to this next little bit because we've been going a long time we sure have okay so during the exchange between sephiroth and cloud zach is successful in defeating the shinra forces after cloud returns to his group they decide that sephiroth is far more dangerous than shinra and vow to take him down as the group is departing midgar Presumably forever, Aerith expresses her concern over what the future holds. So, before we all answer this question, I want to reiterate 
because I know there's a there's the greater possibility here of talking about implications of what the ending holds for the future of this um series series of this game and that's something that i would much rather um discuss this for part two so i know you guys want to go in on the zach sequence and stuff like that but i think it's better for the part two um we already spoke a little bit on that so we probably we covered the basis of it however just to get like a general feel and please feel free to give one or two specific examples it's perfectly okay did you enjoy the overall changes and additions to the remake rich uh yeah i think some sequences more than others i i really and i think morgan falls into the camp with me on this i really appreciated some of the expanding they did to characters like jesse and biggs and wedge and getting to be a little bit more familiar with them than we were in the original um I think the stuff with the whispers can get to be a bit much uh, at times, but a lot of that is really contingent on, like we said, how they proceed from here and how we look back on that is going to really be affected by where what comes next. But I think that stuff worked for me more often than not. Um, and I, I kind of came out just really... on. on for the most part, really happy with how this turned out, and I'm excited to see uh, where part two goes. That makes sense knowing you too, because you're you like a little you you get more into the. I could see you being someone that would be down on like some multiverse shit. Would would I be wrong about that? What do you mean? Like, because uh, you're but you're a big comic book guy, aren't yeah. you? And like, as far as like your fiction goes, uh. It seems like something you might be more apt to, like the idea of like yeah, mixing and matching people within a un- like. I'm very, I'm one hundred percent open to the idea of like bringing multiverse stuff into it. I don't necessarily even think that's where it's going to go. You don't? Uh, okay. No. I. What is? Do you have a? What is your like brief prediction? Do you have one or an idea? Um, I think there's going to uh, be some chances to change some of uh, bigger stuff. Uh, I don't think it's going to get into a whole, well, this is an alternate timeline and it happened this way at a different timeline. I just don't think they're going to weave a web to make it that complicated. Um, I I do think they will, whether Nomura wants to say so or not, at the very least, give you the opportunity to alter certain events. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Josh, um... Do you, how do you feel in general about the overall changes and additions? Um, again, it's it's hard to say. The there's much more focus on everything in this beginning because they're taking a relatively small portion of the game and making it a whole game, which can lead to a few moments that are like padded out. Some of the quests don't really do much of anything to further the story they're really just there to pad the game out not to say they're bad but they don't have anything to do with the main story and i kind of felt like every now and then you get to a new hub and i'd want to do like two of the quests and then feel compelled to do all eight um because it needed to be a full-length game um so i think i think that was like the the biggest yeah, I'm not so sure about this uh part of the changes 
to the to the remake. It, it felt a little more padded than I think it needed to be in places. Um, I think I think they could have trimmed some of those side quests down. Um, and and they 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 still would have gotten enough of the world building across with a few of them gone. Yeah, I I can see that definitely being the case. Like some of them it, it's funny like they included some of that stuff, but just it felt like even the developers knew it was unnecessary because we talked about this on the Chopcast how they had to allocate some of their resources. Like so some of the bigger sequences in the game when you get to Aerith's church or when you go to her house or when you get in a Shinra building, there's so much detail and it's amazing to see those recreated with current graphics. And then certain side missions you're doing the characters that you're talking to look very hollow and just Uh ps3 era graphics and it's like even it seems like even the developers knew that some of those sequences were just put in there as fluff so they didn't devote all their time to it and it's like well if you're not going to devote the time the time and energy to it why would i as the player do that yeah yeah and that's that i that i think was more so than oh, we need an explanation for why we're changing stuff in this old game. That, I feel like, was the biggest misstep, was just padding it out because it has to be a full game. Um, right. Because right. I, it's not a full game. Like we said, like the story has got so much else to do at this point that, say they do wrap this up in a way that is not just a mess and we want to go back and play it am i gonna want to play all 600 hours of this again um agreed i don't know and it seems like there's an awful lot of padding for something that could end up ballooning to being that ridiculous like yeah i could replay the whole thing all all of that or i could watch all of one piece And if that's right. a comparison you to get how a long your story no one is, could you could get a fourth of the way there, Josh, by yeah. watching all 600 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I. One thing that I know Rich told us that the uh, the developers have said that they're going to streamline future games and make them a little bit shorter to get them out quicker. So that's hope that there isn't hopefully as much padding. I feel like Midgar specifically needed a lot more padding though because it's it's hinted at that it's such a big city, but you never really feel the scale of that in the original. And they do such yeah. a better job of that in the remake. It does. And it fe- feels small in the original. So it does. So I think that makes sense why there is some padding when you consider that, but still, still, I get your point. Morgan, yeah. the general feel, did you enjoy the overall changes and additions? Uh, at first, um, I was kind of on board with what they were doing, fleshing stuff out. But um, yeah, it just it kind of went off the rails for me. I, I Josh said something. I was listening to some old podcasts, and I thought it was interesting. Josh was like talking about how we were we were thinking about like what we wanted, or predictions, or hoping, or just curiosities. And he was saying that it'd be interesting to get a fifteen-hour episodic Final Fantasy game where you get one small chunk of it. And we kind of thought, you know, the original Midgar section is what like ten hours long, four. Really? It's, it's about short. four hours long. Yeah, it's it okay. is a short so, section of the game. It feels longer because could... you're grinding out in battles, but yeah, it's not long. It, it, they're not doing this, but the idea was that if they're doing a remake, but sort of ex, ex, 
um, ex- uh, expanding on certain sections to make them interesting. Like, let's say the Jesse stuff, you could push that up to 12 to 15 hours and have a short, cohesive experience. I am not, I thought that would have been pretty cool. I'm not a big fan of the linear JRPG. I like open worlds and stuff. And if you're not going to do that, I think you should condense it down to something smaller. Like, I am just surprised by how long this game is and how much time I spent in dark railroads and caves and well, dingy sewers. And I I think there's a reason that the original Midgar section was kind of short. It was, you know... It doesn't cover a lot of the story, but to, to what you're saying about, like, more open JRPGs, most JRPGs aren't really that open. They're just good at making you feel like they're open. I I don't know. I... It's not, it's different because there are certain things that are like a weird middle ground, like Persona, where it's, it's not really linear, but the, the environments are not necessarily like caves and dungeons and stuff. And that's, and it, and I, I think I probably could have fought through that stuff. It would have felt less like a chore if I was more invested in the story, but like, I'm, you know, I'm just like, I was kind of going through like environment after environment. And I'm like, yeah, this does feel like you took a short section of a game and elongated it. Um, and th- there's, it's not bad. It's just, I, I found it aesthetically uninteresting. And that's I a guess. totally fair criticism, I think. Yeah. I think in some way you're actually supposed to feel that way because <laughs> of yeah. the fact that you are living or you are existing in the slums of this city. And they talk about it multiple times about how the upper class is just living so far above and so far removed from the slums or the lower class. 300 meters. Right. And and it opens up a lot of weird questions for like, do you, are in the next game, do you start at level one? Do you start at 50? Well, do you start somewhere in the middle? Or it's like, they, I think they've really, and no, to answer your question, I liked where they were going at first. But by the end of it, like I was watching those YouTube videos and my jaw was open. I could not believe I could not wait to talk to you guys um, because I could not believe what the fuck they were doing. I was floored. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm I'm blown away by. (laughs) I (laughs) I know. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. I do. Um, Largely. More positively than you, but I felt largely the same way where I was like, what choices did they make? And I like, I immediately wanted to talk with you guys. Like immediately I was texting Rich the second I finished the game and I watched the end credit sequence. As soon as that was finished, I was immediately texting Rich. So I totally get it. Um, Yeah, I largely enjoyed the additions and the changes that they made. Um I think the other guys kind of summed up, summed it up pretty well. Some of the changes were misses. Most of them were hits for me. So um, we'll see what happens from here. Uh, Josh, what do you feel like is the strongest part of the story in the remake? Um, or the strongest sequence? Let I mean, me think. Interpret it how you want. Yeah, let me, let me, let me think real quick. While you're thinking, I'm going to pass it to to Morgan real quick, and then I will come right back to you. Just take your time. Yeah. Think about it. Morgan, what do you think was the strongest part of the story? I imagine it was probably Jesse, but... Definitely, yeah, because after that, it really went off the rails for me personally. But I, I thought the way that was handled was interesting. I thought those characters were worth expanding on. I thought the motorcycle chase was smart because you have to kind of lead into that for later. 
and uh, I thought they did a good. I thought that scene was really cool. Other than the the cheesy music that played, I I was definitely on a high at that point, an upswing. Um, so yes, that that section would be the relationship as well with Jesse and, and everything. I thought was in, interesting and, and done pretty well. Okay, okay, I think that's fair. Josh, what about you? Um. I feel like they, even though, like I mentioned before, there are a lot of changes to the Shinra Tower scene that are made really just to show, hey, we're changing these things, and like intentionally to draw attention to the fact that stuff was different at that point. Um, However, I think the scenes with Aerith and Hojo really got across Aerith's character well um, in a more first-hand way than you get, because you get all that stuff sort of second-hand in the original because you're captured and you're kind of talking to each other through the walls and whatnot, and um, actually having those scenes of her just staring down Hojo, um, I feel did a whole lot for her character to kind of make you understand why she's so bubbly about the things she can be. Um, Cause I was not a huge Aerith fan until that section. I mean, it, uh, she was okay, but I felt like it was a little hard to figure out what was going on with her as far as like what was, what, you know, why, why she was the way she was. And that tower scene, I feel like, with all the changes, I feel like they did a much better job of getting her personality across. Like, why is she mm-hmm. the way she is? And I, that that segment, I think, was done excellently as far as uh, getting across the story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. I think they did a lot, a lot better job of integrating her into the story. Um, because I remember from the original, it felt like if you didn't directly use her, that you just kind of felt like she was just another face in there, even though she's supposed to be the super important character. If you don't actually use her in your party, like she's important, obviously, but you just don't feel it like you do in this remake. And I think they do a much better job of showing that. They force your party in this one, which is kind of another thing that I was saying with like red when he shows up, he's not part of your party. He just shows up when he shows up. He's a guest, yeah. Yeah, but but and I that I think that is kind of to, and they don't entirely nail this, but I think most of that is just to uh, allow them to pick your party for you. So you have to have certain people with you for each of these scenarios, which I I think worked better in order to get a you know just you know make you interact with the characters more. Um, and I think there'll be more of that in part two. Yeah, I think so as well. I think we're basically going to have a forced party. For, for certain for, story for the segments. Game, for if maybe yeah. the whole game, if not huge chunks of it. There might just be areas where they go, okay, well, this is an in-between area and you can pick your party and kind of go grind out or whatever. But then for story scenarios, I agree with you. I think it's going to be like, they're going to Scooby-Doo it and split up at points. Yeah. Probably. I would imagine so. Uh, Rich, what do you think was the strongest part of the story in it's, the remake? 
it's funny Josh mentioned exactly what I was going to go for, which is specifically like the Hojo's Lab segment of uh, the Shinra Tower. I just for one, like he said, bring together Aerith, Aerith's uh, relationship to Hojo and like what her childhood was like and it, illustrating that sort of stuff. And I just think also painting Hojo as a villain going forward is handled a lot better here than him being this weird kind of feeble looking man who just kind of chuckles at weird shit like he he's presented as more of a threat here in literally like dr robotnik style i've trapped you in a room with my robots yeah uh but it's all handled really well and also the scale of his lab is more impressive here uh yeah rather than being shoved into the corner of a random floor of the shinra building <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah like genova is presented as like his crowning thing in this lab uh there's a segment you guys might remember where you're listening to him sort of mutter to himself uh on an escalator where he's talking about well and and i think it shows you how like disillusioned his character is here is at this point like when he sort of hears that from palmer that sephiroth's in the building his immediate thought is like well can i get him to breed with Aerith? like he doesn't care about the clear and present danger of everything that's happening he's like thinking about how sephiroth's presence could benefit him in the mm-hmm. original, he feels like he's detached from reality. In the remake, he feels just eccentric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's... it's His characters... I cannot wait specifically until... And I hope it's still in the game uh, when the next part comes, when we see Hojo just lounging at Costa del Sol. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be funny. That's going to be amazing. Um... For me, like, there are a lot of sequences that are really high. Like, I had three just pop into my head um, while I've been hearing you guys talk about it. I think one of my favorite sequences is the dropping of the plate and just the way that's handled. Because what the the groundwork that the, the remake has laid up to this point, you actually feel the impact of Wedge possibly dying of... <laughs> Seemingly, seemingly Biggs dying, which is revealed at the end of the game that he's actually still alive, um, which is something that Morgan was kind of blown away. Yeah, Biggs is still alive at the end of the game, Morgan. He's in the uh, orphanage recovering. He is. Um, of course he is. Yeah. Uh, that Jesse is dead. You actually feel like, granted, you didn't know Biggs was alive at that time, and everybody who had played the original had assumed he was dead because that's what happens in the original. So, um, of course, they would kill Jesse, but keep. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> essentially, right. we don't know yes. that still. She's just she's right. not shown. So right, fairly. There's no she's body dead, recovered. But, yeah, yeah, but maybe in another universe, I believe maybe. she's dead because she essentially well, dies in Cloud's arms. Yeah. Right, and I think I think that's kind of yeah. I think that's meant to be as it is. But when these characters presumably die, you feel that impact so much more and you feel that further urgency to get up there and help Barrett. And it's, it's the urgency is there because you're actually legitimately climbing this tower and this tower feels a little bit long. Like after you're fighting the 12th enemy, it does get a little bit long winded, but at the same time that pays off in the urgency of you feeling the need to get to the top. Um, I love the banter between Reno and Rude um, as they're flying to get to the to the plate and the banter between each other and the banter of flying away. Absolutely love that. Um, they, the thing in the original, they were cool characters. 
Reno was cool. You loved Reno in the original. The thing that Advent Children did such a good job was creating this dynamic between them, and they've carried that into the remake, and I love their dynamic. And it's on full display during the sequence. Um, And the original root isn't even there. That's worth noting. It's just Reno. Right, exactly, exactly. And I also like, granted, it was out of place, but I loved the little scene between Marlene and Aerith. I absolutely, it was implemented horribly um, because the plate's about to fall. Everyone's fucking escaping. This is the perfect time to have a, like, five-minute, ten-minute talking sequence. But (laughs) it was also necessary. It was also necessary. It was just a weird weird implementation of that but the discussion between the two itself i absolutely loved i absolutely loved that little cute discussion and the flower that you receive from the very beginning of the game comes back and it has payoff in the fact that Aerith was like that was my flower i gave that and that allows marlene to trust Aerith for them to leave um because it's yeah i always thought it was weird about the original that like Marlene basically has this father who's never home, who's always committing acts of terrorism. And basically anybody in the world is watching this little girl. Granted, it's clear that, you know, the two love each other, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well now you watch Marlene. Well, now you watch Marlene. Well, now you watch Marlene. And like how, how would Aerith, a person who doesn't know who the hell this girl is and vice versa, convince her to leave? Um, I think that they did a good job. Outside is on fire. Right. That's my argument. Fair, fair. I just, I love that whole sequence. It was, Oh, it's a a great sequence. Yeah. It was a very good sequence. So, um, were you disappointed that Marlene doesn't make drinks behind the bar? Like in the original? Yes. Yes, I was. Cause I think that would have added further to her innocence. And anytime Marlene is on the screen, I absolutely adored it. So I more Marlene in the future, please. All right. Marley was great. for you having kids in the future yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, I had three more questions, but I think actually two of them have kind of been answered indirectly. So I'm going to pare it down to one final question and we can all get the hell out of here. Oh, thank you. I know. I know you guys are sleepy. Morgan, I'm going to throw uh-huh. it to you first because I think you're going to have the most polarizing opinion. Are you looking forward to the future installments of this series? Um, I, I'm looking forward to like talking about it with you and, you know, maybe if they throw some JRPG fishing in there in the open world, um, I'll give a shot. Um, but yeah, it's probably, Hey, it could happen. It could happen. Don't crush my dreams. No, I mean like they're, Um, they're changing literally everything else. So you never know. No, the only reason I say no to that is because there is about a million mini games in FF7. Uh, I don't think they're going to the, add another one. In the old, this is not this is not your daddy's FF7, Rich. Well, <laughs> Rich, to be fair, they did add darts, which is not uh-huh. in the original. Oh. That's a good point. Yeah. If we get darts and we don't get fishing, then I'm just going to kill myself. I love darts. Um, ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot what we were talking. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, I never write that stuff off because they could get a new director. They could get they the next. They could get rid of the whispers. The, who we knows already what got the next rid of the whispers. Uh, well, you guys think like Shay said. We don't know for sure. Um, you can't. We can't. There, say there wasn't. The they, there wasn't a body. They exploded. They just kind of went into the Sephiroth sword. So, but then they exploded. No, no that was before it, you it, killed them. It's 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 anime, Josh. Anything could happen. I'm just saying, if they're gone, 
Okay, so if the whispers show up, uh, we need to make a bet, Josh. If the whispers come back, <laughs> um, we can't even remember yeah, the I, other bets that we have. So uh-huh. make sure we've got like a hundred open bets at any given time. I remember them all. No, I I never close those doors just in case. But yeah, no, I I just the storytelling on. I couldn't recommend this one, and I wouldn't I wouldn't really be personally interested in the next one. Okay, fair enough, Josh. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, again, we, we mentioned this briefly about whether or not you think forever ago, whether or not we thought you needed to play the original first, you need to play the original first. Not only that, they assume you have knowledge of the original of Advent children of Dirge of Cerberus of crisis, crisis core. core. They uh, assume crisis. knowledge of all of that. Um, not just for like little things here or there, but for, for scenes to make any sense as to what is happening. Um, so like I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it now that they have essentially opened the door to, you know, we can do whatever, like all the same characters are there with the same motivations, but you know, different outcomes could happen. I'm curious to see what that means. And I'm hoping it means something, because if it doesn't, it, I think it's going to be very disappointing. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing, hoping that they do something cool with that. Cool. Cool. Rich? I'm really excited to see where they go from here. Uh, what, like Josh was saying, like the implication of a lot of this, what could change? What What do they have the potential to play with? And just the story is very different from here. So I'm interested to see what it looks like going forward. Yeah, that's fair. And really quickly. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to that. It should be obvious. Um, Josh had stated that he thinks you need to have a lot of the source material. I think the original is borderline essential. The others, not, not as much. I've never played crisis core. I've never played dirge of Cerberus. I have watched advent children. Um, I vaguely yeah. remember a lot of what happens in that movie. Well, I, I, I not a lot does happen in that movie. Is the thing nothing of substance? Nothing that actually true. happens, but they kind of really spell out the whole, you know, all these, you know, soldier clones that were failed Genova experiments as being, oh, that's who Sephiroth was. Sephiroth has three nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah, and that's really what they were trying to drive forward, or drive home with that one. Oh, I and they've already about those They've three. already done that in this game, because yeah. at the end of the game, you fight two of them. One of them gets away, and the other one turns into the, you know, dream Genova thing. Um, but, like, they, they really make it obvious that, you know... That's what's going on. Is it's these other? They they don't explain who they are yet, but it's obvious from like the numbers and whatnot that we've we fought them already yeah, in that we've, context. Yes. Um. So right. yeah, it, it seems like there's way more required knowledge coming into this game than we initially thought. Um. Right. And that's where I kind of sit. Is I feel like if I'm being objective, I feel like. Right now, you're not getting the payoff for a lot of that information, but I think they've clearly shown that a, a lot of the payoff 
has come within that game and it will come later. So if you if you want to figure out what some of the threads mean that aren't explained, for sure, go see the other materials. I think the original is probably the main one. And for me, I would say as of right now, the only one, because I want to see the payoff on some of those things. Um, but other people may feel the same, and that's fine. I think there's, there, there's validity to that. Um, there are certain sequences that I think they just handled so much better than I could have predicted, like the wall market scene when you... Uh, when you when you dress as a woman to sneak into Don Corneo's uh, mansion, and that whole sequence was handled fabulously. They're they're just like those kind of moments that you didn't expect them to handle so well. They generally do, and a lot of the world building and character development was um, more than I could have hoped for. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely, one hundred percent, am looking forward to future installments. Uh, for me, I would recommend this game, and um, if you enjoy this game, definitely go play the original. And I'll tell you right now, if you play this game, it's going to make you want to play the original because it's going to make you yeah. want to know more. So oh, I had, uh, eh, we're kind of at the very yeah, end. I, I had two so. other thoughts for like sequences that are great. Yeah, go for it. All right, one is going back to Walmart in the daytime. Um, because yeah. it is such a piece of shit, and seeing all the trash <laughs> on the ground and yeah. just without the lights crap and crap yeah. everywhere, <laughs> instead of it being this glistening, you know, Las Vegas type city, just seeing just the trash everywhere was a really cool, like double take. Getting to see the same area twice, um, I thought they did that really well. Another section, we talked about the music previously. Um, did you guys take the elevator or the stairs going to Shinra Tower? Elevator. I took the elevator. You guys are cowards. Um, the stairs <laughs> are the correct answer, all, as always. But they did a really cool thing with the music here where they uh, possibly remixed it, if nothing else, modulated it to the point where as you're going up these stairs by the very end it sounds like your ears are bloodshot and just like pulsing with your heart and it the music sounds like you are about to pass out that's awesome it's like the same thing that was the same theme that played at the bottom of the stairs all the way up to the 59th floor as you climb these stairs but the way they the way they change the music as you climb these stairs and get more and more winded on your way up was really cool. Joke's uh-huh. on you, because I dropped acid right before I took the elevator, so same effect. <laughs> <laughs> and then you didn't know what the whispers meant, and you had to look up a YouTube video. Uh, you were... To be quite honest with you, I chose the elevator because right before I picked, I went on the Googles to find out what the difference would be, and I found out if I took the elevator, I got to do more fighting. So that's what made me pick the elevator. Well, there you have it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because I, I actually took the elevator. I don't remember what governed my decision for that. I was like, oh, I'll yeah. just take the elevator. Why not? I think there but... were chests on the stairs to begin in the original. I don't think there were any there chests. Were. In there's the, one right by the stairwell which yeah, i did yeah. go get but, but you there's can go not get one that without this... taking it but like yeah it's, i got that and yeah, then i went there, to there the elevator were chests you could only get if you took them originally but well you have to take the stairs originally 
Do you at that I, point? Yeah. Hmm. There, there went, were a lot of items that were in the anyway. original in this Shinra Tower that were not in the remake. Like, actually, yeah. you get you get one character, one of his uh, weapons early, and you have to hang on to that and stuff like that. So, Well, you get yeah. a lot of weapons early. You do. You do. Um, um, your first chance be... at a weapon for Cloud is in the Shinra Tower in the original if you steal a hard edge off the soldier first class. Yep. Yeah, yeah. A lot of anyway. stuff was just very different, but... Yeah, I yeah they handled a lot of things very well in this game. Um, they did a lot of things right. Um, I'm excited for the next one. I hope that the there's an increased level of polish, so certain areas don't look mm-hmm. like they didn't get polish. And I hope that um, they yeah. do a little bit better of implementation in some of the areas where they were weak on in this game. But overall, I think it was a great game, and I think it warranted. Yeah. Um, a remake so i'm excited yeah. but let's get out of here can't wait to oh, see sorry, some please. chocobo husbandry yeah, oh, yeah it's gonna be interesting how they handle that but um actually yeah one thing i'm so excited for is to see knights of the round if you actually get to have that and to see that how that's implemented oh i'm in sure a you will well it'll be probably similar to the summons we got in this but You'll probably get to see that in, what, 15 years? Maybe 20 years? I'm thinking uh, in Final Fantasy VII Part 29, we will finally get to see that. Yeah. We'll finally get but... to see that, and it'll... Uh, it's a... They, at, at that point, they really had to outdo themselves, and it's a 15-hour cutscene every time you summon them. <laughs> you wake up that morning, you activate it, and then you just go do chores all day, and yep. you're wiping stuff down. You go to the grocery store, pick up all your groceries for the week. Um... COVID-19 is thankfully gone, but it's been replaced with three new viruses that we're currently working on. <laughs> We've been stuck in, ho- in the house for three years. Just waiting for Knights of the Round. The, the yeah, T-virus right. has taken effect. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I, I will say as someone who's not interested in it, I'm, I feel bad for you guys in the way that, like, I hope that you guys get the next game pretty quick. Like, I, I like from what they're talking about, sometimes in life it's cool to, like, go by the seat of your pants, but it just sounds like, like in the, even the article Rich was talking about, he's like, uh, Nomura's like, I would like to do this. It would be, I would be nice to do this. Like, it doesn't sound like anything's really set in stone. So, I, it makes me wonder how far along they are, how, you know, how good the plan is, how quickly they think they can get those out. I hate to see you guys wait four years or something. We've been waiting 23 years for this. So, I mean, I I guess so. Yeah. No, the thing is that there are conflicting reports, which are frustrating as well is like, Hey, they've already been working on the second part. And then there are other reports that are like, they haven't even started on it. So I'm just going to, that seems impossible that they have not started. I agree. So I'm just going to leave it simply as um, <laughs> it's square. Modern square is a bit of a clusterfuck. Let's not lie. It's always been, but we're going to leave it simply as I'm excited. It's a buy. Josh is excited. Rich is excited. Uh, stay Morgan far is away. maybe, but all right, <laughs> let's get the hell out of here, guys. Um, I want to thank you, the listeners for sticking around for two and a half hours as four nerds just talked about a story um we'll be back next time next episode with a breakdown of the differences between the original and the remake um psycho psychopath that's right um i want to thank my three wonderful co-podcasters by the names of I forgot the names I gave you, so I gotta pull them up really quick. <laughs> you forgot my name, jeez. Well, I gave you guys those amazing names. I want to say Troy. Troy, 
Yes, I called you Helen of Troy. Um, for yeah. sure. No, I here the three names that I gave you guys because they're very important because I want to establish this as a trend for every episode. I give you guys a different name. So we have Mister Rister Mitch. Thank you for being here. I want to I thank Joshua Fuller for being here, and I want to thank Mirgat Brainbuster for being here. And uh, yes, Rich. We love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> and we love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> no, you can't leave. You can't leave. No.